Listening to Sunglasses at Night podcast. The year is 1980. It sure is. This is the podcast where we travel back in time through the lens of the Australian number one charts for a particular year. Uh, this year being 1980, we exhausted the Arias mostly, apart from 2023, which we will be coming back to. Yes. And now we're back on the Kent charts, which we are pre Arias, but we're just looking at the number ones. And we're going in reverse order, aren't we? So we're sort of we keeping, are travelling back in time. <laughs> um, yeah, in a backwards mo- motion. Even literally. though we are getting far back in time, there are still music videos. So if you want to follow along uh, with the songs, then uh, follow the YouTube link in the description. Yeah, we're sort of um, we're at that point now, nineteen eighty, where we're kind of getting to the very end of music videos. Like yeah, still... or the very start. Yeah, yeah. sorry, yeah, the very no, the, the right. start meaning the end. But um, before this, you get into the 70s and most music videos, if they exist, just seem to be live performances. Yeah. That someone's recorded and yes. they said, let's release or they've, this. Or they've made one in the years hence. They, yeah, they yeah. even have one at the start and then yeah. someone's come along for the reissue of the album and made a music video. So we're good this year. There's a there's a heap of music videos yeah, this year. There and were, pr- surprisingly. Probably, yeah, a couple couple in the future episodes, but we will reach a reach a bit of a, yeah. a block in the road where we're not going to be getting I, I was getting with these a few where I would start watching them and if it was an actual music video, I'd watch it. Yep. Whereas if it was just a kind of half-assed live footage one that I you know, scan through to see Don't if anything interesting it. happened or if there are any cans. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, we're, we're a bit too early for Duran Duran, unfortunately, Tom, which, uh, you know, threw hey, some cans look, out Sometimes at the start of things, there's experimental stuff. Correct. There Correct. was plenty of nudity in black and white before the Hayes Code came mm, along. No doubt. Uh, so what news? What do we got? Oh, before we get into 1980, the songs? Got yeah, just to have a look. Um what was happening. Uh, the US and 86 of its allied countries boycotted the Moscow Olympics Ooh. in protest. Do you remember what America was protesting specifically other than that they hated Russia's guts? Uh, was there a specific there one was. issue? Yes. Um, mistreatment of people? <laughs> it was actually the Russian invasion of Afghanistan. Oh, um, no. After living through the Bush years, I simply don't have the energy left to do a joke about that. Uh, let's just remember <laughs> that the original ending of Rambo 3 had him joining the brave warriors of the Taliban. So, yeah. Uh, what else happened? Oh, yeah. Um, tough year in some ways. John Lennon was shot. Uh, Ian yeah. Curtis killed himself. Yeah. And Bon Scott passed away after oh. a night on the piss in London, age 34. So, yeah, stay in bed and pour out a slab of VB over a Joy Division t-shirt for those guys. <laughs> Absolutely. On the plus side, uh, Back in Black and Pac-Man came out. Oh, yeah. Plus, the World Health Organization announced that smallpox had been officially eradicated. Good. Yeah, good thing then. If that happened now, people would be marching in the streets, drawing dots on themselves with a red sharpie to prove something known only to them and their YouTube daddies. But I'm sure <laughs> it's really important. Uh, in movies, uh, the big movies of the year, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Ooh. 
Nine to Five, starring Still Alive, Dolly Parton. Yep. Uh, Stir Crazy, I believe that's a Richard Pryor, um, Gene Wilder joint. Ooh. Uh, Airplane, exclamation mark, also yep. known as... What is it also known as? Ah, uh, fuck. Does it have an... Flying alt- High. Flying High, oh, yes. Yep, alternate. Um, Any Which Way You Can, uh, starring Clint Eastwood and a irascible <laughs> orangutan. Private <laughs> Benjamin, starring Goldie Horn. Coal Miner's Daughter, starring I Have No Fucking Idea, I've Never Heard of That. Smokey and the Bandit 2. Uh, the Blue Lagoon and the Blues Brothers. Mm. Yeah, so um, three sequels. No superheroes, uh, the best Star Wars movie, two of the greatest comedies ever made, plus a pedophile's daydream and a fucking orangutan, just to remind you that this was still (laughs) basically the 70s at this point. Yeah. Um, Yeah, as some of these videos will also demonstrate as we get into them. But yeah, that's enough for me. Shall we we get into the fucking music? I think we should. Um, I'd just like to point out that um, I miss the days when the leading man was a man and the leading lady was just let's just get an orangutan in. So I sort of <laughs> they just funny. went. We don't. Why you know people talk about why why mm. you know back in the day there were no good roles for women. It's because yes. they were just like, well, how about you know a sidekick or a love interest mm. it's just like seems like too much hard work let's get an orangutan we don't have to pay them anything <laughs> you know it'll be fine well so. weirdly enough I think that that may have actually been the movie where Clint Eastwood met Sandra Locke who became oh. his long term partner good don't quote me it may have just been a blonde chick who looked just <laughs> like her it was the sequel to Any Which Way But Loose Every yep. Which Way But Loose uh, because people just couldn't get enough of that uh Backyard bare knuckle boxing slash orangutan for a best friend having Clint Eastwood roused about character. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I think in that film, not only does the monkey watch Clint and his girlfriend have sex, but yep. Clint also finds a monkey for his monkey to have sex with so that he isn't lonely. Good. And then the sound of those two monkeys fucking inspires all the other people in a hotel to have sex Good. as well. So yeah, there was a it was a horny time in the seventies. <laughs> horny and coke fueled, two of the ways I would describe that yeah. era. Yeah. And they say, why don't why aren't we casting animals anymore? Why aren't we doing that? Good times. Mm. All right, should we get into yeah, it? Yeah, let's get into it. All right, it. Um, first song of the year, Tom. For seven weeks, five the previous year, nineteen seventy nine, two this year, nineteen eighty. It's the Buggles. Radio, video cue the radio star. Yes, Sorry. yeah. As we noted last uh, last episode, this was the first song to be played on MTV in 1981. Yeah. Next year when MTV began. So yeah, clearly it made an impression. Absolutely. What, what's the Buggle story, Ben? Well, video cue of the radio star, we all know the song. I, I can't imagine a yeah. person alive that's not yeah, fucking heard be. this. Um, I don't think so. But uh, interestingly, it was written by... Um, a guy by the name of Bruce Woolley mm-hmm. and also Trevor Horn was one oh. of the other co-writers. Now, um, the two had a bit of a falling out. Yep. They split before the song was released. So mm. we ended up actually with with two two different distinct artists recording this simultaneously. Oh, okay. So there's Bruce Woolley and the Camera Club who released a version of oh, uh, okay. Video Cure the Radio yep. Star because Bruce Woolley was, he claims to have written part of it. Mm-hmm. And then Trevor Horn... Um, member of the Buggles, yep. he was also a co-writer. So they both they both released two versions of it. For people who aren't the Hornheads that I am, yes. <laughs> uh, what what else has Trevor Horn done? 
Oh, oh Tom. Quote, Trevor Horn has been called the, uh, quote, man who invented the 80s, end quote. <laughs> That's um, a big call. <laughs> which is a very big call. <laughs> but in the early 80s, so he did the Buggles for a few years. This is obviously the biggest song. Mm-hmm. Um, then apparently he was in a video clip for, I think it was either this song or another um, Buggles song after this one, I think. Something about... Living in the Plastic Age, I think that was the second single. Oh, okay. Um, and apparently, his wife said that he looked ridiculous in the video <laughs> clip. She said, sure. "You look like just a fucking dickhead in the mm. video clip." Mm. I think you should stop being in a group and just become a producer from now on. Yeah. So um, she, he went, "What's that?" And she went, "You look like a fuckwit." And he went, "Oh, okay." So he quit. The Buggles <laughs> broke up. I should point out at this point in time that after one album, him and the other member from the Buggles joined progressive rock band Yes, oh, which okay. seems like the weirdest thing of all time. So progressive rock band said, we need a couple of members, Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, they went, let's get those two guys from the Buggles together. Yeah. Let's get those fucking guys involved. That was short-lived, and then the Buggles released one more album and broke up. But anyway, so Trevor Horn, mm-hmm. um, after his wife said, you look a fuckwit, stop being in music videos in a group, yeah. he just went on to be a producer. Yeah. And he's produced, well, in the 80s, a lot of stuff, but probably one of the best-known ones is uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Oh, That's yes. one of his sort of things. Yeah. So, and, I, and if you recall, <laughs> when we talked about Frankie Goes to Hollywood a long time ago in the podcast... Um, I think Trevor Horn was the guy that went, oh, yeah, none of you guys are fucking yeah, any good. I believe so. <laughs> so I'm basically going to have to redo so re- this whole thing on my own. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So to the dismay of um, those guys, um, they found out subsequently that when the album was released that none of them, I think, had performed any of the music on Certainly Relax. <laughs> I remember that single when that came out. They were mm. like, oh, it doesn't sound like... What did you do in the studio? It doesn't. I can't remember doing that. So I like, know oh, I just did it all myself. And then you guys aren't actually on the song at all. So he did that. Um, he also worked with a um, friend of the podcast, Malcolm McLaren, on some of his early work. And he just did a heap of '80s stuff. There's too many to mention, but they're probably some of the big yeah. ones. And um, look, in more recent years, he's also done Tattoo. All the oh, things really? So he's still wow. keeping it real. So he's a real impresario of quality. And he also... Not hit wonders. No, not at all. <laughs> like he Malcolm knows, McLaren. He knows how to get no, something that'll stay in people's heads exactly, and last. You know? Exactly. And just to further confirm that he's not a one-hit wonder sort of person looking for that, he also did um, Can't Fight the Moonlight from Coyote Ugly. <laughs> So he really knows taste, Tom. He's a tastemaker. He's a tastemaker. He certainly is. Mm. So that's his story, and that's the Buggle story. Short-lived. Very short-lived. Came in, released this song. Yeah. Went to number one. Yeah. Split up it's soon a afterwards. One hit one. It is that yeah. very much a classic. There's a few one of those one. this year, like real traditional proper one one hit. Not going to trouble yeah, the definitely. charts anymore. Um, and just for those interested, if you listen to the the original, the other one done by Bruce Willis oh, yeah. Camera Club. Yeah. Bit more. It's got more guitars in it. It's a bit more. Oh, I mean, okay. it's the same song. It's like the same melody, kind of little bit. Song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like the Buggles one is a bit more new wavey, yeah. synthy sort of. It's weird. Drum machiney, plastic. There are a couple of deliberately anachronistic elements, e.g., the subject matter and that sort of. They use that kind of 
old-fashioned radio vocal filter yes. as well, which kind of contrasts with the electro devo sort of modern, you know, like you say, the kind of the more electro-y end of new wave sound, which, yeah, I think that might have uh, made it sound more interesting. Yeah. As the video also sort of features a lot of then funky digital effects like the blurring and, you know, multicoloured passes and all that sort of thing. Absolutely. But the band actually looked kind of dorky and sort of a bit old-fashioned. Like you say, Trevor Horn is not actually, you no. know, he's not a he's not a Taylor Swift-esque presence on the screen. And his own wife effectively said, you must quit <laughs> being an artist, <laughs> a recording artist, because, because you look like dog shit. So, yeah, bit exactly. rough by their partner. For sure. Now, look... You, you asked me a question, and I think the best answer would come from Trevor Horn himself in his words, <laughs> quote, Before I started The Buggles, I was a loser record producer. His words. That's a direct mm. quote. I spent four years producing records for various people without ever making any money out of it or having any success at all. Um, so there you go. He got so fed up with doing things that weren't successful, he decided if I couldn't find a good artist to produce, then I'd just go and write the song myself and become the artist. Yeah. So I wrote a song called Video Kill the Radio Show with Bruce Woolley. I know the name's awful, but at the time it was the era of the great punk thing. I got fed up with producing people who were generally idiots, but called themselves clever names like the unwanted or the unwashed <laughs> or the unheard. When it came to choosing our name, I thought I'd pick the most disgusting name possible. In retrospect... I've frequently oh, regretted the calling myself yeah. the Buggles, <laughs> but in those days I never really thought much about packaging yeah. or selling myself. The Buggles is bad, but Video Killed the Radio Star is good. That's a yeah, good exactly. Title, yeah. So, um, in his own words, he was a loser record producer that just yeah. produced dog shit. He realised he had to do it all so himself. Was Richard Branson, yes, to be fair. Correct. He realised he had to do it all himself. An unnecessary cameo in movies <laughs> that he clearly has used his his fame to blackmail people into doing. Exactly. So he wrote this himself. Yeah. Became a hit. Says the Buggles is a stupid name, but yeah. whatever. It doesn't really nah, matter. Sounds like, and look, it's all good. He sounds like he's got more of a producer personality than a star personality. And he seems to have an element of self-awareness because yeah. yeah. he's shitting on um, you know, his own band name and the fact yeah. that it, before this he'd sort of just done dog shit. So, yeah. This was uh, inspired by the J.G. Ballard short story The Sound Sweep. Yep. A spiritual successor to the movie Singing in the Rain. Oh. To take, if you want to get a bit more highbrow, which was about how the rise of talking pictures yep. wrecked the careers of silent film actors. Oh, yeah. Songs about musicians whose careers would be destroyed because they couldn't translate visually to TV. Ah. Which was a bit of a weird thing to be singing about before music videos were really a thing. <laughs> but I mean, I suppose it's a pretty. It's a prediction of sorts. If I had a time machine, I'd just show them a photo of Ed Sheeran and they'd realise they were all worried for nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, regardless, appropriately selected for that theme um, for MTV, the music video by Ozzy Russell McKay oh, was yeah. famously the first aired on MTV at 12.01am on August 1st, 1981. Volkay was perfectly placed to pounce on the broadening 80s music video scene and directed, among many others, the videos for I'm Still Standing, Hungry Like the Wolf, Ooh. Total Eclipse of the Heart, Making Plans for Nigel, Gypsy, Wild Boys, Kind of Magic, and I'm Stranded wow. by the Saints. Uh, like many directors to come, he then transitioned into Hollywood and directed Razorback and Highlander. Wow. Before finally hitting the big time with Derek and Clive Get the Horn. <laughs> Uh, he also directed the criminally insane mess of Highlander 2 colon The Quickening Jesus. but claims 
as they all do, <laughs> Zack Snyder style, that he was set up to fail and that the director's cut is better and actually makes some kind of sense. I'd love to weigh in, but sadly, nobody has ever watched it. So, Look, um, I quite liked, like most people, The Highlander. Um, <laughs> but The Highlander 2 is... I've only seen it once. And terrible. It one of the craziest sequels <laughs> I've ever seen in that it appears to be... Well, there's exactly no relevance to the original at no. all. It would be kind of like if you made a sequel to the Titanic that featured Kate Winslet, except it was set on the moon and about an alien invasion yeah, instead. And the, the only similarity was that it had Rose from the original film in it. That, that was... Yeah, that, pretty yeah. crazy. But you're right, like his... Um, You'll have to go into I to to Wikipedia or IMDb to have a look at his music video credits because they are very long. It's crazy, yeah. And there's a lot of great no, no, songs he, in there and a lot of great video clips in there. Like um, um all Julian the ones that you Temple and stuff. He just really seemed to be just in exactly the right place at exactly the right yeah. time. But he did have legit talent too. If you like pour some sugar on me, that's one of his. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. And he's done he's done movies since then too. I was just they were oh, just no, the biggest of course, of the Tom. Year I mean, yeah, they were the biggest of the year. And look, to be honest, I think he's still doing great work today. I don't think there's anyone that um, that hasn't seen uh, Teen Wolf Five, uh, Teen Wolf the movie, which he directed in 2023. That wouldn't say that it's probably the best in the franchise. They so. rebooted it again, or is that um, just a sequel? Well, what they've done, Tom, is they made a Teen Wolf TV series. Oh, and yes. And this film is a Teen Wolf movie off the back of the TV series yep. in that same universe. But the TV series is also a continuation of the original Teen Wolf film. Oh, so they are all so technically this is this is considered Teen Wolf Five. Oh, okay. So he's directed Teen Wolf Five. I've never seen any. I didn't know that there were. I didn't. I I didn't know there were three or four. But (laughs) apparently, apparently, five is very good. And that was mostly from you talking about it on this podcast. He was he was involved in that. So still doing great work in twenty twenty three. Sure. If you're not a Teen Wolf fan. And you can still go back and watch Betty Davies, Betty Davis Eyes from last week, one mm. of his as well. I pretty the, much the guarantee is... the Teen Wolf TV series is better than the Highlander TV series, which the, also got yeah. made, which he was not involved in. No. Thank Christ. But look, Melbourne's own. I mean, we should support our yeah, own. Yeah, for and, sure. And Highlander, great. Razorback. I actually Especially... watched Razorback recently. Not great, but it's okay. Yeah, oh, for, <laughs> for, a, for a film that looks like it was made with credit cards in the desert, oh, like of course, Mad yeah. Max 1 yeah. style, it's yeah, pretty yeah. good. It is yeah. good, definitely. Yeah. Not not amazing, but good enough um, to watch. So check that and out Highlander, if you The first it. Highlander is legit a good action film. Definitely. It's, got, it's, it's definitely. original, it's got cool locations and stuff. Yeah. So no, I, I back his work. So um, Yeah, no, fucking back then too. I mean, really, in Hollywood, as Aussie directors, it would just be like him and Peter Weir. That'd be it, really. Yeah, so apparently um, after he did, I think, the Saints video clip from Strand that you mentioned, whoever he was working connections with or whatever, they sent him to the UK to do a, a video clip for a, a Birmingham punk band. Oh, yeah. And I think after he did that, he just sort of stuck around and then ended yeah. up working with, like, Duran Duran and those yeah, sorts of things. Yeah, right like on the cusp and then, of where yeah, this so was Yeah, so right place, right time, but also did really interesting stuff, I mm. think, so, yeah. He's actually, good. apparently he's in the video for I'm Still Standing, which was that... Yeah. Did we talk about that? That was the one uh, famously the Saints, where. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, I'm oh, still oh, standing from, by oh, Elton, Elton John. John. Not, not, not that's the one. Um, if no, I'm stranded. At so. the end of the at the end of the doco, they yeah. the the recent movie, you know, 
bio, you know, whatever it's called, hagiography, biography, whatever. Yep. It ends with I'm still standing, you know, because it's a nice spot to end as in to say I've been through all the shit, yep. been through rehab and stuff, and I'm still standing. The video for I'm still standing is that dorky one on the beach where there's people like jumping out of the way into the swimming pool and stuff and yep. him, him with a straw boater and stuff. Apparently the reason why it's so... It, like they're in this grad location but it looks so um, cheaply made is because they lost the film. They'd actually gone to this... Like, it's like the Riviera or something and they'd filmed this elaborate video oh, okay. and then they just lost... Somehow lost the tapes. <coughs> Cocaine. And then... <laughs> so they had to like... They were like, fuck, well, we're still here. We've got yeah. to just come up with something. And Russell Mokay is in that video because they just oh, had to okay. use everyone. So, like, he's... You know, he shows up in the background. In that. Well, fuck-ups must be part of his sort of MO because I heard that in the video cue, the Radio Star video clip, there's a there's a part in the video clip where some, where one of the female performers is, is coming out of a test tube or... Oh, yeah. Apparently they did, like, 30 takes of that <laughs> and then in the edit they put the wrong one in. So the one where she, like, falls out and, and he's like... Oh, Oh, fuck that's there's we did this 30 hey, times there's a proper one so sometimes art comes so there's from that it does, it does there's that there's what you just talked about and then there's the entirety of highlander 2 as well it would appear that was a complete yes. fuck up so, so he claims yeah so look interesting you said tom this is the very first song on mtv which yeah. is quite quite influential obviously now apparently people weren't sure about how big an audience MTV was, no. was getting and what no. influence it was happening. Like, it must of, have seemed ridiculous yeah. at the time. Not, not just a show featuring music videos, which are barely yeah. a thing, but a 24-hour channel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, this so, is long before 24-hour news was an yeah. idea. Like, world news where shit's happening all the time, everywhere around oh, the Oh, exactly. Yeah. So... When MTV came out, they played this Buggles, um, this song particularly as yeah. the first song, and played it a lot, because as we've talked about last week, there weren't a heap of music videos at the time, so it's mm. got a lot of airplay on MTV. And to know whether that was having a wider influence on sort of general record consumption, um, one, a record store owner in Tulsa had this to say, I had 15 copies of the album, uh, mm-hmm. the Buggles album, sitting in a bin for eight months. <laughs> no one would buy it. But weeks after MTV launched, they were all gone. Yeah. So there you go. In America, this wasn't yeah. a hit. No one really knew it. MTV came along, pumped the living shit out of this. And this dude in Tulsa, he was able to get rid of his 15 copies yeah. that he had out the front in a fucking discount bin. So that shows <laughs> the influence it was having. Good times. Yeah. Like kids' cartoons of the same era. Yep. People may remember them fondly, but they definitely started out as basically commercials for... That it was a way to get people to buy the albums. That's the, was the purpose of video commercial video music videos was to introduce you to the band and get you to buy the, absolutely the thing. It wasn't there was no uh, art was a distant fifth. Oh <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. So do you have a favourite version of the song? The Bruce Woolley and the Camera Club version, I've the never... Buggles version, the Violent Femmes <laughs> version, Tom, the Pixies version, Pixies. Uh, Radiohead version, Tom, Radiohead. the Offspring version, Tom, <laughs> or my personal favourite, the Presidents of the United States of America who put that on the soundtrack for The Wedding Singer. Oh, Christ. So, I remember. That's the only one I remember yeah. is that stupid one. Yeah, there's a lot, lot of versions out there. Who, so. Where were these other ones on? Are they like... You know, live in concert. <laughs> I, don't, ones. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, what some fucked radio. I, I assume it might be a live in concert thing because I can't recall that being released. But yeah, yeah. certainly some of the other ones. So, uh, radio video killed the radio star number one in sixteen countries. So not yeah. just Australia, sixteen countries. Yeah, a lot. no, it was legit. And huge. it was Australia's best-selling single 
for 27 years. Fuck me. Until it was taken over by what song, Tom? 27 years, so... So it would be 2007. Yep. Mm. Uh, Boom Boom Pow by Black Eyed Peas. Correct. No, um, my <laughs> God, uh, the information I've got here must be incorrect. It must be 17 years because it was taken over by Candle in the Wind. Oh, okay, so, right. Apologies, that's, that's my pretty fault. Nuts. 17 you, years, when you take from into, 80 to 97. Yeah. When you take into account that we didn't have MTV, I don't think, for several years later, yep. until after America had it, and even then it wasn't everywhere. You had to have like certain channel to have it. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty weird. So why the fuck did, they must have just played it the hell out of it on the radio? They must here. have. Absolutely yeah. right. Absolutely. Um, lyrics, Tom. Sure. Uh, let me just do one thing. I'm just curious. Eighty-seven. That's when Australia got MTV. Oh, so there we you were go. like seven, six full years before, and then you had to have uh, Channel Nine. Yeah, and it was like it was like Rage, I guess, not yeah. a full channel. Okay. We never really had cable TV the way the Yanks did. No. Yeah, lyrics. Uh, Bruce Woolley, Jeff Downs and Trevor Horn get the credit for this one. I heard you on the wireless back in 52, lying awake intently, tuning in on you. If I was young, it didn't stop you coming through. They took the credit for your second symphony, written by machine on new technology, and now I understand the problems you could see. A lot of the more specific lyrics seem to refer to the J.G. Ballard story, as noted the sound sweep wherein the main character is a mute boy who goes around sort of vacuuming up stray sounds in a world without music. Mm. He befriends an opera singer living in an abandoned studio, as mentioned in the song, as all previous music has been rendered obsolete thanks to advances in ultrasonic music. The opera singer is destitute. Forty years later, I'm still waiting for their follow-up single based on J.G. Ballard's Crash. <laughs> Ideally, an electro-pop ditty about people who go dogging at the scene of car accidents. Absolutely. So, yeah, that would be my <laughs> ideal B-side to this. Yeah, for sure. That would be good. No, I agree with all of that. Um, J.G. Ballard is a real optimist, that guy. He had a real vision for good things happening in our future. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. Look, it's interesting he was able to put a book together about people that are sexually turned on by car crashes, mm. but look, they turn it into a film. Was this <laughs> I, song on the film? <laughs> I don't know. watched that uh, the other day because of a podcast I was listening to. Yep. Uh, it's um, Cronenberg, and it's I've only, I think I'd only seen it once before when I was a teenager, and I just remember it being kind of controversial and... And sort of watching it on dodgy VHS and rewatching it, I was this. I was like, this is still just as weird as when I first watched it. It hasn't suddenly started making more sense yeah. now. Like, it's, yeah. better or worse than you remember? About the same, to be honest. I went to the movies to watch that it's in a, the cinema. Uh, what so. what reception did it get at the movies? Uh, not great. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not. If you, it's kind of like it's kind of like in the Simpsons where they go to see Naked Lunch and they come out and says, <laughs> "I can think of two things wrong with that title." Yeah. It's like if you go and see Crash because you're thinking, "Oh, this is going to have lots of sex in it." It does, but none of it's. It's like one of the least erotic things yeah, I've ever seen. Absolutely. Whether you are turned on by mangled flesh or not. And yet you're not quite also, getting Cronenberg body horror. You're not getting no, that. No, and, and it's also, it's not a sort of traditional movie in any way. It's not an action film or no. anything. It's more like a kind of weird, sort of perverted romance-ish kind of. But yeah, that is a weird movie. Absolutely. 
I'll, I might have to watch it again. <laughs> it's not boring. I'll say that. It's not boring. No, no. Definitely. Good, good. Yeah. Um, what do you got next? Um, oh, just real quick. Oh, three, yeah. Sorry. Buggles have got 3.1 million Spotify That's listeners. That's pure from, from, col- this. from collections. From this. Yeah, just from this being on playlists. Exactly. Yeah. All right, up next, Tom. 21st of January for three weeks. It's Michael Jackson, MJ, the king of pop. Mm. Don't stop till you get enough. Oh, man, what a great song. Look, Tom, hot off the heels of his turn as the scarecrow in The Wiz. Yes, yeah. In uh, 1979, I believe he did that. Michael Jackson hits the studio Mm -hmm. to record um, Off The Wall, which is one of his first big albums. It was his first solo album, I believe. Yep. Features this track, which he wrote all by himself. Mm -hmm. He penned this one. Apparently, Michael Jackson couldn't play any instruments. This is something I picked up recently watching that We Are The World music video. Oh, okay. So what he'd do is, um, at least at the time of this track was written, he didn't know how to Mm -hmm. to do anything. So uh, maybe later in life he learnt to to play an instrument, but certainly earlier on he couldn't. So he'd have all these melodies, he'd hum them in. He'd like, Mm -hmm. he'd hum the melodies in. And do the different bits. He'd oh, yeah. lay, layer the different melodies as humming and yeah. stuff like that. Then he obviously had a lot of great producers, Quincy Jones, um, yeah. I think producers, a lot of good, you know, session musicians. So he'd just hum the shit out and then people would like be able to play what he's hummed yeah. out. And then he's like, yeah, great. And then he'd do the, so- the like song. like your man, right. um, Seal, didn't he do that? Like, <laughs> he did. From a rose. I think so, like, yeah. Just, he, do you just he was <laughs> filling vocals to fill in for the various instruments and then they ended up using some of them in the I think thing, Seal was yeah. living um, in a squat or something in London <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. did that and then everyone's like great no, so no. yeah so that's uh, that's sort of the, the history of yeah. um, of this track I think yeah him, him as you sort of say yeah. uh, Quincy Jones was the musical director on The Wiz so oh, yeah. I think that's where he met that's him that's where he met him yeah. and yeah and he went to him and said like look I'm trying to I want to do my own stuff yeah. and do you have any advice and then from that they ended up Quincy Jones ended up being basically his you know well not he's not a lifetime collaborator but collaborator on all of his best work basically oh absolutely he did Thriller Bad you all know, these um, hits yeah, exactly all, all the good ones but now, yeah, not only is this pre-ped Michael, but he's still <laughs> actually black in this. So that true. should give you an idea how long ago this was. So I, I think that means you're able to play this at your wedding if you want. He's, yes. he's, it's pre-ped Michael, you're good to go. Um, go nuts on it. Um, certainly, if you're looking to play Michael Jackson in any sort of social situation, this one is A-OK. I'm uncertain as exactly what it is that Michael Jackson won't stop until he gets enough of. Mm, um, probably best I'm not, not, ex- not exploring any <laughs> further. As you mentioned, prepaid Michael. So it's possibly nachos. <laughs> Don't stop till you get enough corn chips mm. and cheese, or pring- I think. Pringles, so, possibly, prob- or Pringles, possibly. Or Pringles, exactly. Um, a decade later, Heroin. the answer is penis. But uh, um, yes. yeah, we're not going to worry about that for now. So This was massive like yeah. I mean he'd had a lot of success with the Jacksons but you know for he's taken a bit of a break to go through puberty now he's back yep. it was the number one in the US New Zealand Australia Norway and South Africa mm. uh, he won his first Grammy Award for this song taking the title for best R&B vocal performance male uh, this was his first number one since Ben in 1972 yep. a sort of side project song which was famously about a small boy's love for his pet rat correct 
this may not have been his first solo album. I may have that wrong, but it's his first sort of adult. Yeah, proper. as a, as a grown yeah, up. Yeah, no, none of this kid bullshit. Yeah. The exactly. question: uh, Why did Michael Jackson write a song about a rat? Is less interesting to me than the question: How the fuck did the director of Network, Serpico, and Dog Day Afternoon get blackmailed into directing The Wiz, starring <laughs> Diana Ross and Michael Jackson <laughs> as a scarecrow? Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Is the Wiz I've never seen The Wizard. I've heard of it. It's like a musical Wizard of Oz, isn't yeah. it? Set in like the yep. hood or something. In the... It's an all-black cast, um, Wizard of Oz, and trying to reimagine that as yeah, yeah, in basically like a city that. Or like a, yeah, 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 yeah. And look, okay. and in in theory, in theory, the concept, I guess, of people trying to find some body that holds you know the answers to yep. whatever life's questions are that they're seeking about themselves you know they mm. want to improve themselves in some way they think someone holds the answer they get there you look behind the curtain realize that it's all a facade yeah. the concept of bringing that into sort of a more urban type environment yeah i, I can't see where that couldn't <laughs> in theory no, work no um, and, and you've got a big cast but yeah, it's, musicals were a lot bigger back then too yeah you know but were, michael the, jackson dressed up as a scarecrow no. being like oh, who just, plays the wiz? i just need a fucking oh <laughs> like richard pryor i think I, I think it is that sounds exactly right I, for this year i've not seen it for <laughs> well, i saw it when like i was the a, number three movie in the top 10 so it makes complete yeah i sense. mean i saw it when i was a kid i think um, he was just I've about not, to really hit it big with brewster's movies so uh, diana ross um as dorothy and we'll oh, talk yeah. about her later sure. mj is the scarecrow um yeah richard Pryor is the whiz <laughs> and, so yeah um look in, yeah i think in theory it's like yeah why why not i mean people take old stories and try and bring them into the modern i mean look baz luhrmann did it with romeo and juliet <laughs> successfully didn't he tom so <laughs> he but did. yeah the, i've not seen this for a long time but um i just remember go if you can go on youtube and watch some footage of mj as the as sort of the scarecrow and i think that's mm. probably all you need to know about this to be honest but um so yeah, look, in, interestingly in terms of uh, misheard lyrics or unknown lyrics for big hit songs, the chorus contains one of the most misheard vocals ever. The line is um, apparently, keep up with the force, yeah. don't stop till you get enough. I didn't um, know that either. I only found that out with this, like looking that up. I always wondered what he said. Then. I thought it was keep up, get the nachos, don't stop till you get enough, but apparently not. So MJ, he'd obviously seen Star Wars yes. and was so enamoured with that yeah. that he's like, I'm going to start exact incorporating yeah. Star Wars into the <laughs> lyrics. Now, clearly he's a sci-fi fan, Tom, because you may recall that in just a few years after this, he does um, narrate the entire E.T. soundtrack. So. That's exactly right. Not only that, but he made uh, a short film called Captain EO, which was famously <laughs> shown yeah. at a theme park um, for decades, and which does look exactly like what if we let Michael Jackson be in Star Wars as a sort of Luke slash Han Solo type figure. We've talked about that before, and what I love about that is I think that um, Francis Ford Coppola said... Yeah, I'll take 20 mil to produce a <laughs> yeah. 10 minute bullshit film. And we also learnt, was it that um, the Scissor Sisters met? Oh, yeah, that's at, right. On that ride. <laughs> yeah. So if it wasn't yeah. for that shitty film, the Scissor Sisters may never have formed. They so were we like uh, attendants on the yeah. ride, yeah. And they were the only ones on there so and just were like, going, this is the stupidest <laughs> shit ever. And then they became friends, so there you go. Um, yeah, so look, th also, this was apparently the first Michael Jackson song where he did a lot of... Ah, <laughs> uh, he started doing that, yeah. 
like he'd never really done that before. So this is sort of like a lot of the the screams if... and the squeals. I think yeah. they like a hiccup. I think when they go, <coughs> yeah, like a. I think they've sort of called that his sort of uh, hiccup or something like that technique. So tremendous success with this. Yeah. So he just he just ran with that for literally the rest of his life after I this. If that vocal tech was tick was sort of developed as a way to sort of fill space because yep. for the previous 15 years of his life you know he's been singing with you know three other people four other people however yep. many are on the track and you know he's singing on his own now and he's just a little bit self-conscious so he's just trying to fill that the air between his between his vocals with that because no, nobody yeah. else does that I've never really no. heard anybody else do and that. I think you're right as well filling the space in the sense that if you've written a line out and it you know goes over say however many beats or whatever and it's like oh it doesn't quite fit if I can just do a bit of a yeah <laughs> and then sing it out it fits in there better yeah. and it works out well and it goes with his dancing and it's sort yeah. of also so when you're not looking at him when you're just hearing it you're kind of imagining him dancing when he does that like yep. you're kind of imagining him sort of dancing around the studio because it yeah. sounds like he's exerting himself physically yes <laughs> and it's so it's such a Michael Jackson thing that it you is. associate yeah. that with him and it just feels like he's always done that but you, yeah I didn't really think about the fact that there no. was a time when he didn't do that no you listen he must to like have... ABC by the Jackson 5 yeah. there's none of that and it's just so he must straight have, yeah. singing and this yeah. is it this is where he started doing that and yeah. then it just becomes normal and people are just like yeah and it's his thing and it works out you know Maybe in 20 years' time, people are going, oh, yeah, that sort of Post Malone sounds like I'm on drugs, like auto-tune horseshit. Maybe people will be like, oh, yeah, that's his own thing. You know, people will love that yeah. and go, that's 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 a great thing, you know. But there was a period of time where Post Malone didn't do that. He just used to sing normally, and then he started doing that bullshit, and people love it. So perhaps these sort of unusual vocal techniques, they seem yeah. fucking stupid, at the time, but then over time yeah. passes and people are willing to accept that. So maybe yeah. I'll have a growing appreciation for the output of Will I Am Tom <laughs> in about 20 years' time, where sure. I'm like, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I love his crazy auto tune, horseshit, Hold random out for stuff. The year so. 3000, as Fergie tells us. Yeah, that's definitely. When we'll catch up. 3008. 3008. Yeah. Um, and I'll be driving that car <laughs> where when you, when you put down the accelerator, yep. it's just Will I Am. So it'd be great. Yeah. I'm um, speaking of the vote. According to Michael, uh, mm. Don't Stop Till You Get Enough had a spoken intro over bass. Oh. It was also unusual because of my vocal arrangement. On that cut, I sing in overdubs as a kind of group. I wrote myself a high part, one that my solo voice couldn't carry on its own to fit in with the music I was hearing in my head, so I let the arrangement take over from the singing. Quincy's fade at the end was amazing with guitars chopping like Kalimba's The African Thumb Pianos. Mm -hmm. That song means a lot to me because it was the first song I wrote as a whole. It was my first big chance and it went straight to number one. Quincy had the confidence in me to encourage me to go into the studio by myself, which I appreciated. So yeah, ever on the lookout for parental figures, it looks like he sort of, you know, he needed Quincy yeah. to help, you know, this guy to help him. And he did. I mean, not only that, but then he became synonymous with him for like a decade as well. You Absolutely. Know, he all his best albums and shit. For sure. No, definitely. Great song. This is a good one. It is. Um, it's still good. Really good. Yeah. Cool video clip as well. Yeah. Uh, dancing in front of a sort of trippy, yep. spiraling background in his uh, kind of dorky three quarter yep. pants with white socks. And 
sparkly <laughs> jacket. Which weirdly, those three quarter pants are um, red hot in 2022. <laughs> That's right. The last They'd couple of back. years, they're a lot wider these days. But only certainly. Michael Jackson in this era could make a bow tie look cool. Yeah, it's definitely. Almost impossible. Yeah. No, he, he had a good run here. With uh, I mean, this is sort of I mean, this is obviously very low budget to where he went a decade yeah, later with sort of time, black and white yeah. room at the time. But he had a pretty good stretch of uh, just quite good video clips yeah. for, for this period of time so and I'm, I'm happy to praise him because it's prepared and it's okay so <laughs> sure. don't worry about that yes. now um, Chris Tucker Tom mm-hmm. sings karaoke to this song in your favourite <laughs> film Rush Hour 2 I believe you've you've always said that's the best of the mm. Rush Hour franchise. He does famously have a very high annoying voice so I yep. suppose you'd do all that oh, <laughs> um and here is some, the why I bring this up, Tom, is that apparently <laughs> Tucker and Jackson were good friends. Yes, Tucker is in that. I think it's his last music video that we mentioned once yep. before, where Michael Jackson, for the first time in his entire career, uses his normal voice. Yep, you can hear what he actually sounds like when he's not pretending to sound <laughs> like a weird born again Christian on helium. Yep. Yeah, no. So they're mates, and clearly, um, yeah, and and uh, so Michael Jackson um, saw the film. I don't think he went to the cinema. I don't think he went to the Launceston Village Four. He probably would have just been at home. <laughs> oh, I saw I'm Rush sure. Hour Two. Right, yeah. he watched Rush Hour Two. I assume that he gets those. D- he would have got the VHS <laughs> slash DVD. Yep. You know, they'd be sending it straight to him. I mean, he's. You know, he's a major recording yep. artist. Maybe there's affiliation, the film studio and the music studio, mm. same sort of thing. So he, he, he can, gets he can afford new releases. He, he, don't, oh, he just yeah. walks straight past the he weekly does, exactly. deals, he doesn't goes worry. to the new release. He's section. like five five films for seven days for, for seven dollars. He's like, that. don't don't need it, don't need it. So um, yeah, he got to see this, and then Jackson gave uh, Chris Tucker a call. Yeah and said, I won't do the voice, Tom, it would just be terrible, it'd be horrible. But he just, he rang, he rang him up and said, um, you're doing the dance move wrong, you're kicking the wrong leg. Oh, okay. So he's meant to be kicking run, one leg. So he didn't criticise the vocal performance, he was okay with a wee-hee he was okay with all of that. Yeah. Chris Tucker nailed that, but the leg—he was doing the mm. wrong leg, mm. and that's—and that's what I like about sort of MJ back in those days. He'd call you up, he'd give you some constructive criticism, mm. some feedback, and say, "Love the film, love Rush Hour, love Rush Hour two more, yeah. love that even more, love Shanghai Noon, love Shanghai Nights." I don't even know whether you're in those ones. You're probably not. But um, Jackie Chan, I don't know whether how Chris Tucker whether he got involved in any other <laughs> Jackie Chan vehicles. I'm not sure, not but I'm sure. I remember possibly though. But I'm sure MJ would have given all that advice and then got to the end and said, "Look, love the work. Just for future reference, if you're doing this again mm. in real life at karaoke, kick with the other leg." Yep. Chris Tucker says, "Thanks, MJ. Appreciate that. Good stuff. See you later." God, imagine how many calls Corey Feldman must have got. <laughs> <laughs> from MJ he's still busting out those moves to this day I yeah think. yeah well I, I've, I've always said that Michael Jackson faked his own death Tom you know that so <laughs> I, I assume that Corey Feldman's getting calls from MJ to this very day mm. um, we know we brought this up in a previous podcast that I think Janet Jackson is just Michael Jackson uh, yes they exchanged um, bodies they, during the filming of that, uh, that video clip exactly so he's he's faked his own death she's the new Michael Jackson yep. she's calling up you know, Corey Feldman as Michael and saying like, oh, you know, like (laughs) you're doing the wrong way. You're doing a lot of other (laughs) things wrong as well. But yeah, Um, interestingly, (laughs) of all the people that would take on the persona of Michael Jackson in 2024, Mm. 
my Corey Feldman was probably low on my list. <laughs> you know, I thought maybe yes. Usher. You know, Usher. I think he sort of tries to do a few MJ dance moves, just perform at the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, he's probably someone. Yeah, Corey Feldman less so, but it seems like Feldman is the one that has taken on that yeah. that new Michael um, sort of yeah persona. So good. Yeah, uh, lyrics. Yes. Um, uh, this, weirdly enough, received criticism for the song's supposed sexual referencing oh, lyrics. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Michael Jackson claimed people often misinterpret the song, saying it's about never quitting regardless of what your dream was. Another way of putting it would be to say that, as he pointed out when he wrote this, he was 21, a massive nerd, and Star Wars had just come out. Yep. Fever, temperatures rising now, power is the force, the vow that makes it happen, ask no questions why, so get closer to my body now, just love me till you don't know how, keep on with the force, don't stop, don't stop till you get enough. The song goes on to reference the force 38 times. Good. There are people writing self-insert Wookiee slash fic on 4chan who can call that (laughs) a bit much. But yeah, clearly it made a big impression on the young Michael. A little bit like Donald Trump, you sometimes got the impression with Michael Jackson that when he wasn't doing, you know, his contractually obliged practicing or being on TV, he spent most of his time just in front of a television with a telephone and anything that struck him, would he would just call up someone and, as you say, tell them their dance moves are wrong, yeah. ask his director if he could be Roadrunner in his next you know, <laughs> film clip because he just watched a good Roadrunner cartoon. You know, yeah. Absolutely. And I feel like um, he, he got the opportunity to probably... He could have done anything he wanted to because he's like, oh, hey, yeah. I want to be in this sitcom. And so, yeah, no problem. He <laughs> should have, right. he should, I would have liked to have seen him pop up more. And well, like, I think that's how we got on The Simpsons as well. He just called them up afterwards and said, I like that show. Can I be on The Simpsons? And yep. they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely right. <laughs> I think he did He did work on Bartman as well. The he Bart did. Man, he wrote, he wrote it apparently. Yeah. Apparently he wrote uh, Do the Bartman. That's so. right. Which holds up to this day. So. Sure. Um, all right. What do we got next? Um, 38, $38 million. Um, $38 million listeners. So, $38 million listeners on Spotify. I did actually just read this week that Sony had purchased 50% of Michael Jackson's oh, songwriting catalogue for $900 million. So, that's good for the um, for his Prince. What were his kids' names? Prince Blanket. Blanket was one of them, wasn't it? Fucking. They were all variations it? on Michael. Prince what? Michael. What was the girl called again? Michael something. Michael Prince they're Michael. All just Michael. Yeah. So a lot. Of, so they're going to get a bit of cash off that, which is fantastic. And for Sony's sake, I hope that that bat catalog did include do the Bartman because that's that's yeah. going to make a comeback. <laughs> that's going to be. Oh, definitely. Yeah, oh, it's going to be huge. Absolutely. Um, cool. All right. Next time, eleventh of February for. Two weeks, it is KC and the Sunshine Band. Please don't go. Mm, yes. Now, now yeah. yeah. What do you get to say? I thought you'd just uh, get straight into the question of whether the cover's better than the original. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the cover's always better than the original, Tom. Look, as we know, KC and the Sunshine Band, they're a hit factory. Don't have to talk about well, don't They certainly that. were in the 70s, for um, sure. They were originally known as KC and the Sunshine Junkaroo Band. Um, so fortunately, they had the foresight to change it from the worst band name of all time to, um, you know, Obviously, yeah. that's been superseded by Huberstank in the year 2000, but changed it from 
the worst to one of the worst. Because yep. KC and the Sunshine Band is still kind of a shit name. It's pretty bad. But, look, I do get it. The founder's last name was Casey. KC. Yeah, Harry, Wayne, K- Harry Wayne Casey or KC. And they're from the Florida. So I hence, you know, Sunshine Band, yep. I guess. But, fuck, anything would have been better than that. So, as you said, Tom, look, cover better than the original. Um, they've... These guys had a lot of hits. Get down tonight. That's the way. Uh huh. Uh huh. Bracket. I like it. End bracket. Shake your booty. Um, fuck. Just a lot of hits. Um, yeah. But this one particularly, Tom, give it up. We already spoke about it in 1993, did we? Mm-hmm. Um, when no, please don't go. We're talking about it now. We talked about um, give it up uh, in the 1993 episode, Tom, when mm. Danish Eurobeat outfit cut and move. Covered yes. the song, taking it to number That's one. That's what I was so, thinking we'd um, be talking about. Yeah, well, <laughs> please don't go. This is a different song, but don't worry. As they say, oh. um, you know, cut and move had to walk so Aqua could run. Tom mm. in the in that sort of Danish Euro dance thing. There's but, also a song by a band called KWS called Please Don't. Yeah, go, well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm about to get to. Oh, okay. Given <laughs> the given the lack of original ideas in Euro dance, yep. so obviously you know, cut and move. They cover KC and the Sunshine Band. It's a big hit. Everyone says, holy shit, KC and the Sunshine Mm. Band covers. That's what's happening in 1993. That's what everyone wants to know about. So what happened was that um, Cut and Move, their idea to cover KC and the Sunshine Band was actually stolen. Because in 1992, another Eurodance group, (laughs) W... Um, did a dance version of this song we're talking about right now. Please don't go. Yes. So the whole con- in, so in the early nineties, it was just the whole the whole thing was like yeah interpolation dig- hadn't yeah, been invented exactly. <laughs> Check out the KC and the Sunshine Band's back catalogue and let's replace that disco beat with some Euro yeah. beats. Let's you know bump it up to one sixty BPMs yeah. and we're good to go. So the W track was produced by Italian producer uh, Robert Zanetti. Um, who actually he released a few uh, Italo disco bangers back okay. in the early 80s, which I think are legitimately good songs. But by 1992, he knew that mm. the big money <laughs> was in working, you know, with uh, obviously the W guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also worked with, um, you know, my personal favourite, Ice MC. <laughs> yes. He did some work <laughs> with Ice MC. He worked with Alexia, who you may know was the female vocalist on Ice MC Classics. Sure. So he's 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 very much in <laughs> yeah. the Eurodance sort of territory. Mm-hmm. So he said, look, let's do a cover of um, KC and the Sunshine Band, Please Don't Go, in a Eurodance version. Then weirdly, British group KWS, Tom, who you've just spoken about, mm-hmm. uh, they released a sound-alike cover of the W track. Oh, okay. So they've done a cover of a cover, yeah. which unsurprisingly hit number one in the UK for several weeks as they love that sort of bullshit yeah. there and made it to number two in Australia so I've not talked about that track. KWS was sued by W's record label <laughs> over the similarities between the two yeah. versions despite the fact that they're suing someone for doing a cover anyway. Yeah. So the proceedings lasted three years in court and Tom, <laughs> it was quite the legal battle but it did pull about the, the very important legal print, uh, precedent the judge finally ruling that there's a separate copyright in the arrangement distinct from the copyright in the original song. Okay. So what the judge has said is that yes, there's a copyright in the song but the arrangement is distinct from the songwriting. 
the arrangement that W produced is its own separate thing. KWS have ripped off that arrangement and therefore, (laughs) therefore, they've breached some sort of copyright legislation and KWS for their please don't go cover had to pay money to Eurodance Group W for ripping off their version of the original song. Did W pay KC and the Sunshine Band any money? I don't know. <laughs> God, that's a bit. That what a weird so, decision as well. That's a strange. That's a strange call to make. Pretty, pretty convoluted story. But to answer your question, Tom, yes, the cover's better so, than the original. Hang on, how does the cut and move one go then? Um, that's a different song. That's baby, give it up, give it up, baby, give it up. No, 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 no. That one. That's that, a different song to this one. Is that? Please don't go though. No, no, no. Please, the song the song that's number one this year, KC and the Sunshine Band, yeah. Please Don't Go, that's the one that was covered by uh, oh, W okay. and KWS. Oh, okay. No, yep. because I've definitely heard the Eurobeat version of it. That yep. must have been on the radio yep. too. Yeah. No, the, the Cut and Move song is, is a different oh, song. Oh, okay. No, I think, I'd, I think I'd remembered, in my brain, I'd remembered that the Eurobeat Please Don't Go was by some act I would have actually heard of. Yeah. I'm not sure why, seeing as most Eurobeat acts only had one song that I've I, never heard I of think anyway. What's surprising <laughs> is that um, there's only two Eurobeat KC yeah. the Sunshine Band covers. <laughs> I sort of figure that after the success of, um, you know, Cut and Moves, you know, version, yeah. and also. This one that I thought perhaps something like Shake Your Booty would well, have been ready for a Euro. There were cover. several fucking annoying post Eurobeat early aughts nightclub versions of KC and the Sunshine Band songs. Yeah. But they would not be, uh, they did not deserve to come under Eurobeat to my mind. They're just like entrance type shit. Yeah. Anyway, well, look. Anyway, yeah. so K- so KWS to end <laughs> to end their loop, Tom. They um, obviously had to pay some money to uh, people that didn't even write the song in the fucking first yes. place. They had three more top thirty hits with covers of "Rock Your Body," "Hold Back the Night," and "Ain't Nobody." Bracket loves me better. End bracket. And then they I've were nominated too, for the yeah. best British newcomer award at the 1993 Brit Awards, um, <laughs> alongside another group that did exclusively covers known as Undercover, which drew much criticism from the British press that two of the nominees for best British newcomer were cover bands. Yes, so and good right, times. So not even cover bands, but apparently quite <laughs> scammy ones. As well. Cover bands are just plagiarised <laughs> other covers. So. Yeah, it's a bit like that Stars on 45. I'm going. Yeah. Like, I'm not even sure who to feel bad about in this story because you all sound like pricks to me. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, KC himself was yep. quote getting a bit bored with disco at the close of the seventies. <laughs> Don't know how that's possible. Yeah. During recording sessions for this album, "Do You Want to Go Party," <laughs> he began playing on a piano, and all of a sudden, this song began to take shape. The band was instantly fascinated despite the fact that, according to him, it wasn't their usual sound. They all stopped up they were doing and went right to working on Please Don't Go That Day. Good. Um, yeah, after the lukewarm success of the album's first single, the title track for Do You Want to Go Party, which is more dancey than this, but is also basically just someone repeating the word party for four minutes. Oh, good. Uh, Please Don't Go, by comparison, must have seemed like much more of a heartfelt kind of thing. It was released... 
as a follow-up in August 1979. It took 19 weeks for it to get to the top of the US pop chart. Oh, good. The first official US number one of the 80s was this song. Cool. Yeah. So how does it hold up as one of the first number ones of the new decade, do you think? Um, (laughs) I'm going to say poorly. Yeah, it's not great. And the reason I'm saying poorly is that disco, I think... Has a for my mind, it's something that and it, it is a seventies type thing. So yeah. by the time you get into the eighties, it seemed kind of a bit like yeah. played out um, yeah. and a bit shit. As he and, himself was, saying. and he he's admitted that himself. Um, what Saturday Night Fever is three or four years old yeah. at this stage, so people sort of still trying to do disco now. You, you know, look, I understand that it's like you know, go for it, but it's it's kind of like. Um, when we were kids and someone in 1999 said, I'm starting a grunge band, it's like you've missed, you've missed the window by about yeah. five years. So, um, yeah, not one of my favourites. Um, don't love this. Sort of, I think, yeah, the, the disco beat just sort of has a, has a bit of a 70s vibe. Yeah. So it sort of sounds a bit, particularly when we get a little bit later in this episode, there's a few yeah. sort of songs that are reaching, reaching for the future. Even the Buggles were yeah. trying to reach for the future, whereas yeah. this is definitely mining. Even if it is definitely. three or four years ago, yeah. trying to it's trying to hang on to that last little bit of the past. I think. Yeah. So, hey, I mean, they knew they they decided this was where their bread was buttered, and they oh, really correct. didn't change. They kept going through the nineties. That, as I said, thanks to the those shitty nightclub versions of some of their songs, they were still touring. You know, in yep. the nineties and the aughts, even. But yeah, yeah. As, as with a lot of groups who have musical skill but aren't exactly breaking records in the imagination department. Mm. what felt like a major shift to the band e.g. this song sounds from the outside like they were getting their minds blown by the musical equivalent of Woolworths deciding that adding Big Mac sauce to hot cross buns was a good idea. <laughs> Correct. You know, in this case, that would be taking disco, which was fine, just a bit unfashionable at this point, and slowing it down 50% without improving it in any other way, <laughs> which is what this song is. It's just a half-speed disco song. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree with that. Um, look, Tom, you did mention that this is off the album Do You Want a Party, which I think features some of the best fucking cover <laughs> art I've ever seen. I was uh, looking at that too. <laughs> it's Casey. I assume it's KC and a young lady riding on a recently popped champagne cork so either they've been shrunk down um, sort of honey I shrunk the kids style (laughs) or it's a giant Florida size bottle of champagne Mm. and they've just popped that cork and they're riding on that as they sort of fly past Venus or something by the looks of it so it do, you look at that and go, that, these dudes do want to party. That does say party mm, to me. So it does. Power to that for sort of <laughs> keeping it real by calling it Do You Want a Party and having the most party-like cover that one could come up yes. with. So power to KC. Um, yeah, lyrics uh, oh, yeah. written by KC and producer Richard Finch. Um, there's not much to say. Like most of their disco output, this largely involves repeating the same phrase, e.g. please don't go, don't go away. Except this time as if you put the album on the turntable at the wrong speed. <laughs> yeah. um, as I said once before, if this was a modern dance song, fine, you could just repeat that and lean on a good hook and some fat beats. Yeah. But unfortunately back then they still thought that even meretricious dance floor nonsense needed verses. Yeah. So in between saying, please don't go 46 times, he has to talk about how her going will work, at what point in her leaving the feeling of badness will start why it would be better if she didn't go how her going will make him feel yep. bad apparently and if she can maybe instead of going stay and not go instead 
So yeah, let's say I was just surprised to check the YouTube play bar and discover this song was 3 minutes 47 and not 9 minutes 23 <laughs> yeah. as I had originally guessed it was. Yeah. It does feel quite long. So um, look, yes. KC and the Sunshine Band, 7.3 million monthly listeners. Wow. Well, they do um, have a few they've hits. Got, they've actually got a lot of hits. Yeah. Um, you know, when I looked at I was sort of like going, are these guys one one or two, one? And you look at it and go, they've probably, they've probably got a solid half a dozen yeah. like disco bangers. So I think if you, you yeah. know, I'm not going to do this, but if you wanted to put together a disco playlist <laughs> at home, um, yeah. it would be remiss to not feature at least one, no. if not multiple KC and the Sunshine Band tracks in well, your yeah. disco bangers playlist. As this album's title would suggest... They were just as interested in just being party music as they were in being disco music. Disco music may go out of fashion, but party music never oh, goes absolutely. out of fashion. It's somewhere, someone will always be playing. You know this yep. kind of shit. And so, you just yeah. need KWS to step in. That's and, right. Um, Add 120 BPM. Add twenty BPM. That's right. Um, actually, you need someone else to step in first to come up with the concept. <laughs> then you need KWS to come in and steal Still, that concept, right. and you're good to go. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what do we got next? Oh, Tom, 25th of February for seven weeks, seven almost weeks. two full calendar months. We've got Queen, um, crazy little thing called Love. Yes, this is uh, Queen's tribute to Elvis Presley and the mm. early rockabilly style. Also, a US number one hit and from the band's only US number one album, mm. The Game, which also included Billboard number one, Another One Bites mm. the Dust. Uh, that only made it to number five in Australia because we were too busy listening to fucking Joe Dolce or some <laughs> shit. Like I believe so. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, look, last week we had Shaken Stevens taking yes. us back to 1952. Doing a similar sort of uh, thing. And yeah. this week with Queen doing exactly yeah. the same thing. So, so something I didn't realise when we, because we're going in reverse order time. Yep. Um, that Shaken Stevens had probably just ripped off Queen. <laughs> Shaken Stevens had probably just—he he probably just heard Freddie Mercury going, <laughs> "Oh shit, Queen have had a number one song mm. by going back to 1952." Yeah. I might just do the same thing yeah. for a co- and one of them was a cover, I yeah. think, and then he did some other bullshit. Um, and look, I will say this: this is significantly better than any of the Shaken Stevens songs that we had yes. last night. Yes, yeah, um, but the bar the is, is so goddamn low that it could have been anything. So, yeah. um, Freddie Mercury, Tom claims. To to have written this in five to ten minutes. Yes, Taxi in, Club. In the bath. No, yes. As exactly. a tribute to Elvis. Um, <laughs> he said that he could he can't really play guitar very well. That was yeah. sort of his idea, saying that look, um, I was a very amateur guitar player. Obviously, I had Brian May in the band mm. who would do all the guitar stuff. So because he was limited to only knowing a few chords, he sort of wrote restricted him to writing something that was sort of pretty simple, I guess. Yep. But simple and people don't like things too complicated. The general public. They don't like complicated things. Not on simple the pop charts. works. Yeah, absolutely. So by him keeping it as like Brian May I don't Brian May would have just been shredding out shit, mm. doing solos, getting crazy. You know, he he probably doesn't know how to write a simple song. Yes. Um, you know, listen to Bohemian Rhapsody, there's a lot going on in that. But <laughs> yes. but you know, on the other hand, Freddie is just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. Simple as hell. And uh yeah, it, it sort of came out to be a hit. Now, I'm not sure if um I was in the bath thinking about Elvis and quote <laughs> wrote a song is a euphemism I'm not sure whether that's the thing you know he, he might have been in the bath thinking about Elvis I don't want to think about that too much but look what Freddie did you know do in the bath on his own mm-hmm. 
those are moments for him and him alone. I shouldn't be speculating about what he is and isn't doing in the bath with the guitar when he's thinking about Elvis. You know, that's up to him. He's mm. dead now. I won't speak mm. ill of the dead. I won't speculate what might have been going on in his mind in that bathtub. Um, although, according to Anal Cunt Tom, Easy E got AIDS from Freddie Mercury. Uh, big if true. So, big if true. Yeah, yes. so I'm not sure whether that is true or not um, unfortunately two of the three anal cunt members are dead mm. so we can't even mm. go to them to get them to corroborate their story about yes. EZE getting AIDS from Freddie Mercury but look there you go so yeah anyway yeah, I mean, it's a bath it's a bath one we've yeah. had a lot of taxi clubs I pen this in five minutes but if we had a no. I was in the bath not that I'm aware of minutes. no I mean I see your point like normally he I think normally he would have written at the piano because mm. he played piano. So, yeah, by comparison, saying, hey, I tried to have a piano in the bathtub, but <laughs> couldn't fit. do it. So, couldn't yeah, so then he was saying, you know, I was restricted to the guitar and it forced me to kind of go back to basics and I came up with this song, which, yeah, it is basic. It's real simple and retro. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think Queen, um, with this album, particularly Tom the Game, you said it was their, their number one album in the US. Yep. I believe this was their first number one single in the US as well. Um, I believe that what this demonstrates is that the, the, the key to longevity mm-hmm. in the pop charts um, is to just do fucking anything. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? They don't, Queen don't have a distinct sound at this stage. No, you know what I mean? no. There's probably a period in the past where it's like, oh yeah, this is Queen. They're trying to do like a yeah. progressive, poppy, rocky, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, whatever bullshit sort of stuff. Great. And, but by this stage, it's just like, you know, this is like straight from 1952. Um, you know, another one bites the dust has got that sort of like, yeah. like almost like funky kind of semi-ish yes. disco-y type, whatever, bass line. So they're just like, any song that could be a hit, we're going to go yeah. for it. We don't we don't need anything I that sounds like Queen. One of the reasons for that was because unusually for a lot of bands they had multiple songwriters. Like, yeah. Freddie wrote a lot of their stuff, but also Brian May wrote songs, and their other guitarist, whose name escapes me, also wrote songs, which is how you end up with weird shit like I Want to Ride My Bicycle oh, of or whatever, which sits next to, you know, <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody because it's written by a completely different guy about a completely different thing, and it still ends up being a hit because they sort of performed them all with that same sort of operatic gusto that, yeah... Absolutely not. Plus, agreed. he does have a really cool voice. That's one of he the does. things when you compare this to Shaken Stevens. One of the things that sets this apart, even though they're quite simplistic, is that he just, you know, he just brings it to life. You know, yeah. No, oh, it sounds a lot better. Yeah, it goes without saying. Absolutely right. And so, look, um, yeah, uh, you know, I think this is one of those songs that last week I shat on, you know, Shaken Stevens for just mining the fifties. Not, I'm not mad at this necessarily. Like it's sort mm. of like a pretty catchy song, and you know. If it came on the radio, it's like, oh yeah, it's not one of my oh, favourites from the era, but you know, it's passable, it's fine. Good on Queen for keeping the dream alive. Um, yeah. The video, to me, feels ahead of its time because Queen, like Devo, figured out very early where the wind was blowing, e.g. having actual staged videos, not just sort of faked yeah. up concert footage or whatever. Uh, Freddie's doing an Elvis impression in a sick outfit that I would never get away with but I wish I could. I don't know how he makes leather pants with white knee bands and tiger assics look good, but he does somehow. 
it also goes to highlight the proximity of the James Dean leather biker aesthetic to the Al Pacino in cruising gay bar aesthetic, suggesting (laughs) that Freddie Mercury might have been aware of Rob Halford, perhaps, given that that had already been around (laughs) since, like, 1969. (laughs) But, yeah, this whole video, they're all in black leather. There's a motorbike on the stage and so on and so forth. But, yeah. Absolutely. It's great. Like, it it is great. Yeah, for sure. Um, We know that Queen wouldn't let Sylvester Stallone Use another one bites the dust for, for Rocky. No, three. No, that's right. You learn about Although that. Although I did hear another one bites the dust repeatedly when I was younger because it was the theme song for, I can't remember if it was rock and wrestling or whether it was the WWF equivalent at the time. So that got played quite a lot. Yeah. I, I just thought it had something to do with wrestling when I was little for a while. It took me a long time to realise that it wasn't that. It was just. Yeah. Absolutely. So apparently he was too good for Rocky. <laughs> Not too good for rock and wrestling. No, not at all. Um, and look, much like that song where um, you know we learnt that Queen were unprepared to let Sylvester Stallone use it and had to mm. wait for the right opportunity, that being, a, a, I think, a Honda Accord ad or something along <laughs> yeah. those lines. Um, crazy little thing called Love. Once again, I think Stallone said, I want this for, for Rocky Four. And they said no dice, but it finally ended up during the credits of um, the Disney film Mars Needs Mums. So <laughs> Queen, all, once again, also just yeah. holding the songs until the right project comes <laughs> along at the right time. This being like, the credit of Mars Needs Mums. A bit Mums. like Michael Jackson, I think we need to divide Queen's career into pre-Freddy and post-Freddy because most of this sell-out bullshit seems to have happened post-Freddy. Yeah, Although he wasn't, like he wasn't afraid of selling out. They did famously perform in South Africa during the apartheid oh. boycott when most other bands didn't. It. So, yeah. No. Although he with Freddy, it might have been more about getting on stage in front of millions of people than the actual money. But, yeah, who's Correct. to say? We don't know. We'll never know. We'll never uh, find lyrics? out. Lyrics? Uh, yes, please. Um, lyrical spotlight. I've got to be cool. Relax. Get hip and get on my tracks. Take a backseat. Hitchhike. And take a long ride on my motorbike until I'm ready. Crazy little thing called love. I'm not sure how he was planning to use the railway, get chauffeured, go backpacking, and ride a Harley at the same time while also relaxing. Yeah. It sounds, if anything, quite stressful. Absolutely. I don't know how he would pull that off. So mm, Probably breaking some regulations too, I would imagine. But you no know, He doubt. was a rebel, as pictured in this sick leather jacket that he's got in this video yeah he even manages to make a ripped t-shirt look cool i don't know how he does it he just had that factor x yeah he did he did he did um maybe the relaxing he was in the bath relaxing That's at the time true. so maybe he wrote that <laughs> and then he sort of wrote the relaxed part he's, and then he sort of wrote the rest and it was just like, oh. he was also getting hip provided you find getting hip as doing fist-sized bumps off a silver platter. <laughs> no doubt. Um, yeah, so what have we got next? Um, just real quick, 51 mil. Oh, yeah, Freddie, yeah. On the Quite, Spotify, I mean, goes yeah. without saying. They've got their, their hit factory as well. pretty good for how old they are. They're pretty old. Mil. Yep, pretty old, but um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah you're right. Because I wonder it's, if that musical sort of kept them going. Yeah, I reckon. stage Must have, must have, must have. Much um, as people shit on it, it keeps their name alive. And yeah, exactly. Did exactly. they do it? Did they have a TV show? Do they have like a reality TV? I hope so. Or am I thinking of the one with NXS possibly? (laughs) Um, Like a telly movie? Um, Or no, 
Well, oh. they had the movie movie. That's true. That probably would have helped them out. Well, once once thought, Freddie Mercury I died, like I mean, there's that TV dude. Show. What's the who who? There's a guy. Was it Adam Lambert that used to sing with, sing with them for a while? So see again, um, I'm getting I'm getting mixed up with um, J. He Fortune. Yeah, I, I'm not Everyone's sure if they I'm not sure singing. if they did a reality um, TV show to no, get him question, into the group. Though. Because they do perform live. Yeah. They were yeah. touring not that long ago. So who was singing for them? Must have been Adam Lambert. So Adam Lambert, um, apparently... So he was he was in um, American Idol. So he, was, he, was, he yep. was found through American Idol. Um, and then, But then he ended up working with Queen as the singer yeah. for a while. But yeah, they didn't, they didn't do a... Queen didn't do a standalone show of trying to find someone. No, I think that, oh, okay. It so just they followed a reality TV guy so they could play live. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, unlike In Excess where they did do a, a thing, yes. got JD Fortune, <laughs> um, which I don't, know what, I don't know what JD Fortune's up to these days. Um, <laughs> I wonder if he made a JD Fortune from that or whether it's uh, <laughs> back at Macca's. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a very real chance that... Um, <laughs> I think he was Canadian, is that right? Uh, it sounds about right. Um, I don't know, so, yeah. But I, I can't imagine that um, he's doing a lot these days. So. Can you remember which band it was where the... Uh, after their lead singer left, they, the band, the, the person to take over the vocals was a guy who used to be in a tribute band. Ooh, not sure. They borrowed the plot good. for a Mark Wahlberg film called Rockstar. Okay. But that apparently happened in real life. I can't remember. It was like a hard rock metal band. Okay. Something. So yeah, this guy literally sort of had his dream was come in a, true. Was in a, was he in was a, in a tribute band and then the, the real band came to him and said, do you want to seeing for Sweet. us because our read thing is that's cool um, I have to watch Pretty it <laughs> Definitely watch don't watch film. Rockstar it's terrible yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll read I'll read the IMDB entry yeah, of Rockstar in the in the did you know section which has a lot of great stuff in there as we know that's right um, alright up next up Tom next. 14th of April uh, for 8 weeks mm-hmm. Two Another months. long one, two months as well. Split ends. I got you. Oh god, yeah. From their fifth studio album, True Colors. Mm. I got you is Split Ends' most commercially successful single. Yep. Number one in Oz, New Zealand, and Canada. Top one hundred in the US and UK. Uh, it was written by Neil Finn and released in late nineteen seventy nine. At this point, Neil Finn had joined the band as well as his brother Tim Finn, who started it. Yep. And they'd already tried unsuccessfully to hit it big in the UK and then come back to New Zealand. So they'd been around for a while, uh, suffering various trials and tribulations. Mm-hmm. This album marked a shift towards more of a power pop, sort of uh, more electronic style than their previous more punky sort of experimental stuff, which was probably a good idea looking at the calendar. And the Tim slash Neil Finn era was the four years where they wrote most of the band's hits. Yep. Uh, probably not coincidentally, Tim Finn later joined Crowded House for two years, uh, which was the band that Neil Finn went off to form after he left Split Ends. And during that period, they released Woodface, which was probably Crowded House's most successful album. Yeah. You know, so why couldn't the brothers work together more, Ben? Was it Oasis Syndrome? Were they. You know, Look, they were obviously yeah. a match made in heaven for songwriting terms. Why didn't they fucking just stay in the same band? Well, that's true. I mean, this is two bands where they've they've formed some sort of you know coalition, and mm. then that sort of a split. And 
in both cases, perhaps the band's most successful period is when they are working together. Mm. So you're right. I'm not sure why why they can't get along. Maybe it was that just a bit of sort of brotherly rivalry or yeah, a case it. of um, too many cooks spoil the broth. Tom, I'm not sure whether mm. it's like I'm writing the songs, someone I'm going to write the songs. Ah, oh, we can't really <laughs> can't really work together. But um, interestingly, I think with this song, Tom, um, one of the brothers suggested the title. Um, to the other. Oh, okay. And I think it might have been Tim that said they, they were just, you know, exchanging titles. And I think Tim said to Neil, I've got a name for a song. How about I Got You? And he went, oh, okay, cool. And he went off to the bedroom and wrote mm. it and then came back. So, oh, okay. so it wasn't super collaborative, but one gave him the title <laughs> and the other one went and did, did yeah. the rest. So. And you don't know who did the, you know, the various bits of the music. No, exactly. Now, this is apparently um, the first song ever from New Zealand to chart on the US Billboard charts. Yeah, I saw that. Um, yes. Mm. Yeah. So that's quite an accomplishment. Didn't reach number one, didn't get super high, but it was on the charts. Yeah. And it was New Zealand's first entry. So yeah. And look, I think it's a pretty good song. It is. It's lasted pretty well. It's definitely sort of B-tier classic rock. It yep. still gets played. Yeah. It's one of their like three or four big hits that they had. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it was also it also fit into that um, I wrote it and I didn't think it would be a hit, yeah. nor did the producer or yes. anyone else or the record label. Everyone thought it would would go nowhere. As I said, there's a few of those. They'd already had four albums, none of which had really gone anywhere. They had a bit of hometown love, then they'd gone overseas. They failed to make any impact. They, I think they had one song, I See Red which was kind of, the, in the UK they released it, but the only people who liked it were the people back in New Zealand. Yep. So they went back to New Zealand, I think, for a tour or something, mm. and then they'd lost all their shit, all their studio burnt down. Okay. Their, whole, their whole history seems to be played with misfortune, yep. and then they ended up staying back in New Zealand. So they were probably there would be probably people in the band by this point who were thinking, well, what the fuck? It's not going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's not going to happen. happen. Yep. Yeah, and then suddenly they, you know, then they did busted happen. out. And then they split up after it happened. So. Weirdly enough, that's right. The guys, after their most successful, they did yep. have a few more. They had what? Well, they had one more after this in that from that period, but also their big albums were then. Did um? Did you watch the music video? Uh, I didn't because I'd seen it so many times, but mm. now I'm struggling to remember what actually happens in it. I'm just remembering haircuts mostly. Well, look, it was probably a novel concept at the time. Um, Neil Finn, he's in a in a room, like a bedroom, singing. Yeah. And then on the wall, there's a picture frame, and, the, uh, and yes. the other members of the band are in the picture frame. Sure. Um, and he's singing, <laughs> and it's like a, it looks like a photo. Yeah. And then the chorus kicks in. I don't know why sometimes I get... And then the band comes to life. Oh, okay. And then the, and then the thing, the, the picture comes to life and they're playing. Yeah. Then when it gets back into the, the verse, they're all still again. Now, people are probably saying, I've seen that 10,000 times. I couldn't <laughs> give a flying fuck about that. But um, this might be the first time that that happened That's in a music right. video. That's right. So, as you have to remember yeah. with a lot of these videos. Also, still picture comes to life. Ah, yeah. oh, shit. Also, it's got a kind of vaguely spooky vibe. It does. Song. Yeah. It's, I agree. I yeah. agree. It, it has a bit of a spooky kind of vibe. Eerie. It's like an accordion or something in the chorus, I think. Or yeah, some sort of and also the chorus yep. repeats being frightened and yep. that sort of thing. And then, yeah, yeah and the music video oh, sort God, of has that you... as well. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. It's sort of, it, it almost has like uh, uh, low-level goth undertones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, split Ends, just a small fact, were, their name was originally spelled correctly. Oh. 
but they changed it to the current spelling to reflect NZ as in New Zealand oh, after they came back. And good not, idea. as I had assumed from a young age, in reference to the Split Ends hairdressing salon opposite Rolfos Supermarket yep. in Riverside, Tasmania. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, out of curiosity, I tried to find out if that was still open, but it turns out that there are dozens of hairdressers called Split Ends of uh, every possible spelling no. in Australia, including NDS, NDZ, and NZ. Yeah, uh, which is a bit weird when you think about it. It's like calling your weight loss retreat "hungry like the wolf" or something like that. Yeah. Did you find out how many hairdressers um, across Australia have an Egyptian theme and are called hieroglyphics? Tom, <laughs> were you able to, to find that information out? Because I know of one, um, mm. which is sort of I think the real tomb oh of Tutankhamun <laughs> might be um, just behind the shampoo and conditioner. The but. only people who love a uh, name pun more than hairdressers are Thai restaurants Ben I think <laughs> oh that's that's a that's foe, a big call foe was creeping that's up on them call. for a while but then everybody realised they weren't 100% sure how to pronounce it and if you can't pronounce it it doesn't work as a pun it doesn't work yeah yeah, yeah yeah well I, I saw one called friend or foe and then people were like it's pronounced fur so it makes no sense that's right so that was the problem but then I've seen other ones that use fur, fur. At, but but look written down it looks wrong because yeah. visually you're not pronouncing yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, hairdressers are probably still number one, I think, oh, they, man. in terms of that. So. They fucking love a pun. They do. Now, if you ever... Compl- I remember Ross and I found this once at Centrelink, was that if you're ever trapped somewhere and you have nothing to read but the phone book and you need to amuse yourself, just look up hairdressers and just look through the pun names because there's pages and there's pages gonna of them. There's going to be a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most interesting thing in the phone book, I reckon. Now, um... I guess the big question, Tom, is um, do you have a preference, split ends or crowded house? I, the latter. I'm a crowded house guy, yep. I think. Plus, they, even though half of them in New Zealand, they more commonly get called an Australian yeah. band, seeing as half of them Australian and they released albums in Australia. Yep. But yeah, I think crowded house are a bit more approachable because they are a bit less dated and a bit more... They're, sort they're of, less wacky. Yeah, and they they were a bit wacky, but yep. like their jangly pop sound, I think, is a bit more timeless than this sort of sound. But yep. Yeah. No, look, I'd agree. We we didn't get the opportunity to speak about Crowded House. No. As they never had a number one single in Australia, which is surprising. No. Weirdly, they only had two songs in the top ten ever in Australia, That's despite dumb. having a string of what I would consider to be um, probably Australian wide like beloved. Oh, Australian songs, you know. Do you remember when they broke up and they played at the Sydney Opera House? Oh, and like yeah. 100,000 people came out to watch them fucking it's, it's play. Like, um, it's like Nirvana that uh, when they played in Australia, everyone claims <laughs> that they were there. Like, there must have been 9 million people on those Sydney Opera House steps. Because I was there, mate. Yeah, when Crowded House was there. Yeah, mate, I was there. True. So, Unlike Nirvana, at least there is TV footage of that. So, you yeah. know, there is some <laughs> proof of the number of people yeah. that showed But up. look, you know... Better Be Home Soon, Fall At Your Feet, Weather oh, With You, yeah. Don't Dream It's Over. These are all sort of songs that I think, you know, a lot oh, of yeah. Australians would think are like classic Australian songs. Woodface so is a yeah. true classic So it's sort of, it's, it's surprising that um, they never had a number one one single. So yeah, I guess if people are saying Split Ends versus Crowded House, it's pretty, uh, yeah, I mean, they've oh, got, this, got the preference. same people. In, yeah, of course, same people in the band, but they're completely different. Split Ends probably have the kind of coolness Factor a bit more. Yeah, yeah. If I, I was a music so. hipster, I would, I would say like, split ends. Yeah, definitely. Um, and look, I think the songwriting. Um, yeah, you split ends are sort of a bit more. Oh, you know, I've got. They used to 
wear a bit more wacky clothes and a yeah. bit crazier and a bit of quirky sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think Crowded House is probably more about, you know, good melodies and using Neil Finn's voice and sort of his distinct vocal sound and probably had a bit more of a lyrical sophistication that, you know, spoke to the nation as a whole, yeah. but also once you peeled away at, you know, the surface, some sort of real emotion through, you know, I guess profound lyrics is evidenced um, by, <laughs> quote, can I have another piece of chocolate cake, end quote, um, which is great. It's about, it's about having a piece of chocolate cake and then requesting additional chocolate cake. And I don't think you can really get a more emotionally deep than that. That is But in all seriousness, that's, that song does start with a line, not everyone in New York would pay to see Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, so shots fired on I that mean, one. True. And, true, exactly. <laughs> I'm firmly on the crowded house side of the fence there. So um, who doesn't want another piece of chocolate well, cake? Exactly. I kind of feel like one now, actually. Exactly. Now I've heard the freeze I'd have more chocolate cake, and uh, anyone shitting on Andrew Lloyd Webber is okay with me. So, yeah. Although crowded I know house, you're a big Cats fan. Crowded House also pinched uh, Paul Hester from Split Ends too which was he was their famous uh, interesting drummer he had mm. a t- he had his own TV show in Australia for a while before he died early yes did correct. he commit suicide something uh, he had mental health issues but I can't remember if that was connected I'm not to sure yeah, but, yeah I can't recall but he was beloved too he yeah was, he was, exactly the Finn brothers and Paul Hester were all you know loved on both sides the, um, the New Zealanders and Aussies both sort of claimed them as their own um, and Paul Hester, of course, featured heavily on the little scene and little loved Mick Malloy show, Tom, which <laughs> <laughs> you may recall. Um, deep cut there. I don't think anyone watched that. So I did, and I liked it. I yep. thought it was great. It just People weren't ready for that no. amount of onset urination. No. <laughs> Not at the time. Um, split ends, 500,000 monthly listeners. Sure. Uh, lyrics? Yep. 500,000. It's a bit low. A little yeah. bit low. Yeah, uh, I don't know why sometimes I get frightened. It was one of those lyrics I heard a lot as a child. I think they might have covered it on Young Talent Time, oh, yeah. which I assumed would make more sense when I got older, you know. <laughs> Is that true? Does this song make more sense as an adult, do you think? I um, have to sort of look it up. Maybe. I mean, it's sort of... I think it's it's one of those weird songs where the title of the song is not the chorus. The title of the song is the first line yeah. of the song. Um, and... Yeah, I, I don't know. Just, I mean, it's not a it's love a, song. No, it's kind of a. Well, it's sort of more of a. Um, when when you're not around, I don't know. Um, I don't know what to do with myself yeah. type situation. I've yeah. got a girlfriend, and when you're out doing something else, I'm like, oh, fuck. yeah. Which sounds kind of romantic, as does say every breath you take by um, the police <laughs> until you f- drill down on the lyrics and, and realize, realize that's about a creepy stalker. Whereas stalker song, this yeah. sounds like a guy who misses a chick, but when yeah. you get into it, it's really about someone who's obsessed with her and doesn't want her to socialize so he can have a look at you. You're a pageant. You're everything that I've imagined, but something's wrong. I feel uneasy. You show me, tell me you're not teasing. Yeah. This is a topic that doesn't get covered in many pop songs. E.g. a guy who's gotten his dream girl, Yep. But now he does, he's insecure and can't think about anything other than what she's doing when she's not with him. Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of songs about male jealousy, but it's not usually deliberately framed with the singer as the weird creep who has no life outside of a girlfriend who he suspects no. is too good for him. I'm not sure if it was a consequence of the punk influence, but 
around the start of the 80s, there were some, some good alternative Australian, UK and New Zealand bands doing songs about aspects of sort of male emotional stuff that were outside my patented titwank options of <laughs> I want to bang you, banging you's getting old, or I'm sad you're banging someone else. Yep. More adult nuanced stuff such as misplaced jealousy, the necessary tedium of relationship maintenance, and being a massive creep against your own will. Yeah. Uh, triumvirate we now know as the Kanye. <laughs> yeah, back exactly. then it was quite a revolutionary thing to think about something other than, you know, I want to bang you, you look hot on the dance floor, etc. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, look... Uh, anything else more to say about no, this one? No, no. What do we got next? Uh, ninth, the year? 9th of June, Tom, for two weeks. It's Rocky Burnett, tired of towing the line. Yeah, now, this was my, I've never heard this before mm. for the year. Yep. I've never heard this before, and I don't know who Rocky Burnett is. Do you have any ideas who um, Rocky Burnett is? So, I'll start off by saying, um, you're right, Rocky Burnett, well and truly one-hit wonder territory. Absolutely, um, another classic. I know longer. this song not very well, but I do recall hearing it before. I'm sure it was possibly a staple of Launceston <laughs> Seven LA, quite possibly during the '80s. I'd be interested to know where it landed on their 2,000 hits of summer countdown, Tom. <laughs> um, but like all good one-hit wonders, he claims to have written it in 20 minutes. Mm, taxi another club. one of those, yep. um, and that's all I can really tell you. I, I've I've heard this before. But not for probably 30 no. years. And Even the internet was a bit sparse on Rocky. He seems to, to have really vanished. Trying to find out about Rocky Burnett. Yeah, it was like basically he released this song and then sort of fell off the face mm, of the earth. Like right. I don't really think he did much else. No. I'm not sure whether he tried to do more stuff and it was just unsuccessful or whether he just quit. But yeah, yeah I really don't know a lot about that. Um, how many, Just getting back to that written in 20 minutes, how many of these claims do you think are real? Yeah. Is that sort of like something you say is like, and then you've got a bit of defense when, people, when after it comes out, it's a hit. Yeah. And then three weeks later, people are like going, fucking hell, that song's annoying. You're like, oh, oh yeah. I wrote it in 20 minutes. I had no idea it was oh, going to be hit. The record label said to do it. For sure. It's yeah. definitely what they would now call a humble brag. Oh, yeah. For sure. Especially when it's, <laughs> the, the times I believe it are when it's, People like Stockache and Waterman, where the results speak for themselves. <laughs> it's, if if it's, anything, they're exaggerating how long the songs took. I and, spent 15 and, minutes on this. It's yeah. like, really? And ones where it's weirdly specific, like I would believe Freddie... I, can, I believe for some Freddie reason, I can imagine Freddie Mercury pissed on champagne and coke in, in a bath, bar. dicking around with a guitar, even though he doesn't really play guitar. That kind of makes yeah, sense absolutely. to me. But yeah, I know what you mean. A lot of the time you're like, yeah. You're right, humble you know. brag territory. And it gives you that sort of ability to then down the line, if there is some backlash against it. That's right, say, yeah. Oh, mate, it wrote it in 10 minutes, the record Or if it was super it. popular, but a bit trashy, then yep. you can say, oh, hey, look, I just tossed it out. Yeah, no, yep. you're right. That's a good point. Right. Yeah, so. Um, yeah. This is a classic, though, one hit wonder. Oh, uh, as yeah, you say. Absolutely. He made it to number eight on the US Billboard, and that was the last time he ever troubled the charts with any. Yeah. Uh, that said, this has been covered plenty of times, including by Shake and Stevens eight years later. <laughs> really? Springbok, Rudolph Rock, and Ricky Nelson, Jeez. best known as father of the Nelson twins who formed the band Nelson. Oh, fantastic. That's good. Um, wow. 
our old friend of the podcast, Shaken Stevens, That's getting right. involved in this. Yeah, like him, this is more 50s sort of rock and roll revival cobblers. Yeah. Um, as the, what the next decade was to not get sick of for a very long time. This is, i got to admit, I found this kind of catchy. The chorus yep. is pretty catchy. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I think um, thematically it's one of my favourite type of songs, that being um, Bitches Be Bitches, Tom. <laughs> I think um, right. it's sort of effectively... That's right. What you, is it? You're pissing it, me off. <laughs> Rocky Burnett, he's always being told what to do. That's right. His chicks tell him what yeah. to do and he's, he's fed up with it. He won't, he won't, he's tired, he's sick and tired that's of right. towing the fucking line, Tom. Yeah. He's, he's fed up with, with chicks telling him what to do. That's and right. And that's effectively what this song's about. <laughs> So, it's like the previous 10 years was just a full decade of male rock stars bragging about how chicks couldn't hold them down. Yep. They were always on the road. They had to go from, like, I mean, when you're talking about touring, sure, fine, you're in a band. That yep. makes a sort of sense. But in every other respect, all it really sounds like to me as an adult is a person bragging about being a homeless person yeah they're basically just bragging about the fact that they are unable to hold a job Mm. pay the rent or do anything effectively rather than wander from town to town uh, providing a new you know range of easily fooled women with a variety of interesting STDs from a different (laughs) from a different state that they couldn't have otherwise gotten yeah, uh, yeah it's, it is weird, isn't it? At least in this one, he's talking about being in a relationship and he's saying, if you don't stop pissing me off, I'm leaving. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to just saying, I'm already down the road because it's 6.30 in the morning and that's when I get out of bed so chicks don't figure out they just got crabs yet. Exactly yeah. right. Um, anyway, the chorus of this, I have to say, it reminded me quite a bit of Stay Just a Little Bit Longer. Yeah, You know yeah. that song? That, yeah like it which isn't great news for Rocky because that's 20 years old at this point <laughs> and it's probably best known in today's world for backing a mid-strength B-Rat oh yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was a little bit suspicious I reckon if this came out today there'd be interpolation you reckon thrown out there's a little bit of, yeah that chorus is a little bit of um Melody, yeah, not not lyrically, but certainly melody, it, like melodically. It's, it's, it has and the song really hangs on the chorus. It, it is, does. Uh, yeah. The rest of it's just pointless filler. Yeah, absolutely. How? how the question I was going to ask you: How do you get this guitar sound in? Because it sounds like he's playing inside a giant kazoo. <laughs> like unlike Shaking Stevens, the, Shaking Stevens, the song may be retro, but the production is very fuzzy and late seventies. It's sort of it's as blurry as that weird blur effect on the the video that makes everything look like there's a thick layer of Vaseline over the lens. Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, I've actually forgotten what this sounds like. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I it can, doesn't make. I can remember the. I can. Re- I can remember the chorus because you're right. The chorus sticks out, but in terms of what the guitar bit sounds it's just like, production. I can't, can't remember exactly. I, yeah. I, it's because it's so because we're getting so far back in time. I was wondering. I can't tell whether this is just wonkily produced or whether this is an actual decision <laughs> yeah, yeah a bit like um a bit like uh, uh adam ants last week with uh what was his big hit that uh blow up the jukebox do us all a favor oh yeah that song i couldn't tell whether the kind of 
punkish sparseness was a deliberate choice or whether they just couldn't afford decent microphones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of hard still. Not yeah. sure about this one. Um, I'll get back to you. That's yeah. all right. It's just a, it's a weird <laughs> guitar sound. It's very yeah. odd. Um, yeah. What I found most interesting um, when watching the music video for this, Tom, I think there's two. There's one where it's just sort of him playing um, on like a set piece. Looks, oh, okay. looks almost like a live video. And there's another one where he's in like, <laughs> looks like he's in a car park. Yes, that's um, the one I saw. It and, looks like a yeah. 1978 toy commercial for the Gary Glitter Power Squad. Absolutely. Yeah. And looking at the music video... Um, it does appear that Kid Rock stole his entire image and appearance <laughs> from Rocky Burnett. And so. his red plastic sunglasses Correct. as well. So um, if, you, if you're wondering where Kid Rock got his crazy <laughs> appearance from, whether it's something he's invented from his own mind, he's just literally stolen exactly. it from Rocky Burnett. I think if you put, I couldn't tell them apart in a police no, on Tom. If you same haircut, same facial expressions, yep. yeah, same Absolutely. jacket. I was thinking of what you were saying before with the that other video as well, which was like, this is very derivative now, but, you know, that might have been the first one. Yep. Same with this one. Like, the band seemed to be four random hot chicks in lame jumpsuits, lame jumpsuits, pretending enthusiastically but very badly to play various instruments, yep. including a trombone, which clearly isn't in the song. But when the song ends, do you think this could be the first music video ever made which features... The ending of the song being the lead singer just blasting a row of women <laughs> with a spray of liquid in a subtle allusion to semen. Because uh, if so, a lot of rappers owe Rocky Burnett money, I'm saying, Kid Rock included. Yeah, look, I think when Rocky Burnett pulled up in that fire engine, I was like, oh no, he, he's, he's, uh-oh, he's not going to do this, is he, what? I like, he's not, is he? Oh, he sure that's is. That's right. We're, not also, we're also not talking about a subtle champagne-ish nah. style. Luke, the first thing it's he does- slow motion, he, I think. He, it's in slow motion. He blasts a chick directly in the face yeah. with a fire hose, which they've slowed down so you can see it. I mean, it is a bit like something of It's a Knockout. Yeah, you know? chicks getting hammered with a high-powered hose <laughs> is something that's certainly been repeated in music videos, from, you know, just yeah. often. Um, and, you know, obviously Michael Bay film starring Megan Fox as well, I think. So I hope that chick was thirsty because she just drank about 78 litres of water when yeah. she wanted to or not. And also, saying. like... There's a lot happening in this because A, yeah, as I mentioned, Kid Rock ripped off his image. B, as you've mentioned, he's, he's you know, ha- hitting people with a high-powered hose and just basically drenching chicks with water, which has, <laughs> you know, just become mm-hmm. coarser rigor for video clips. But then also, um, there's a bit of a uh, attractive females in the background with instruments miming. Robert Palmer, yes, yeah. addicted to love stock. Exactly. So people have just watched this and, and everyone's pulled a bit of something out and went, oh, That's there you right. go. Yeah. Women, women in the background miming with guitars. Oh, yeah, I reckon I could do something yeah. with that. Even a their, hose. Even their look is pretty sort of glam metal. They're yeah. all wearing these kind of skin-tight, shiny outfits. It really, when they first appear, I was like, oh, this is going to be like a metal song. And then it's like this kind of retro 50s thing. Exactly. Like, oh, I just, just from the silhouettes with the hair and the outfits, I was like, yeah. oh, this is going to have to be proto you know, hair metal, but yeah. For sure. So while the song may not have had the longevity, the video clip has certainly been mined yeah. for um, all kinds of content. If I saw those giant red plastic wraparound sunglasses in a thrift shop now, I would definitely oh, buy them for, straight for away. Sure. For sure, absolutely. Um, no, Talking about looking at the world through rose-coloured glasses. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, did you know? Did you know that this featured in the Adam Sandler vehicle Grown Ups Two? 
I did not. No, there you go. I told you. That weirdly, you he may never have trouble with the charts again, but this song has it has been carried on a little For bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, lyrics Grown ups too <laughs> yeah. uh, Lyrics uh, Burnett <laughs> Co-wrote this with Ron Coleman Former bass player Of the Brothers Grimm And the Everly oh. Brothers uh, Which might explain The retro sound Baby I'm tired of Telling the line If you want to get rid of me Baby 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 You're doing fine I suppose if you're going to evoke the 50s, you might as well go the whole hog and yeah. use lyrics so basic they could be written by a rugby player recovering from a TBI. And don't forget to relentlessly infantilise the chick you're banging so we don't forget how old she probably wasn't. <laughs> it's another authentic 50s and 60s touch. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. None. Um, what do we got next then? Oh, just real quick, Tom. Oh, sorry. Um, I thought you'd done it. No, no, he, the <laughs> 95,000. I thought you were going to say he does not appear. No, no, he's still in style. No, Doesn't it? 95,000, not a lot, but look, I tell you, not bad, considering no. he's got one song. I was fully expecting you to say he doesn't appear in the search. Yeah, look, um, okay, Tom, 23 June for two weeks. It's The Vapors. Uh, turning Japanese, who are uh, only two weeks. I know this video Crazy. was also directed by um, the Russell oh, Mulcahy. Yeah, yeah. Him yeah sure so fucking hell, he's, he's pumped a lot it's out. It's weird that isn't though. This is only two weeks. Yep. Same same period as Rocky Burnett. Yet turning Japanese is sort of a tier classic rock. Yep. Well, you know, retro. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Now look, um, I'm I'm going to say Tom another alleged wank anthem. Um, yes. I say alleged because I feel like for the longest possible time when I was growing up mm. and for, for just what seemed like forever, people would be like, oh, turning Japanese, it's like, he's, he's like, it's, it's like when he, when he's, when he's wanking. His face, he's turning Japanese, Tom. Yeah. His face goes so crazy. I heard that story. And too. I think everyone heard that story, and everyone was just like, ha, oh, you know, thought that's what it was about. Um, but apparently, uh, it's a love song. Yes. About um, someone who's lost their girlfriend. They're slowly going crazy. They don't really not know what to mm. do. And, you know, they feel like they're, they're turning Japanese. Yes, David Fenton doesn't make a lot of sense either. Well, but his claim is, uh, it could have been any country, yeah, Portuguese, yeah. Lebanese. It just yeah. means it's a euphemism for going crazy. The problem might be that turning Japanese isn't a euphemism for going crazy that no. any other human beings ever used. No. <laughs> Mind you, it's not really a euphemism for masturbation that any other human beings used no. either. Yeah. So it's one of those weird things where yeah. the the uh, the sort of theory that people had was off base. Yeah. His explanation was kind of weird as well. So people were probably like, he oh, did, maybe it is about wanking. Weirdly, he did later thank whoever came up with the rumour as he felt it might have actually helped the song become a hit. Yeah, you know, yeah Which yeah. sounds dumb at first, but music journalists absolutely do love a piece of scuttlebutt about a song. Yeah. You know, it's like their favourite thing in the world, especially if it's A, pervy, and B, makes them sound like they have some sort of inside track on a famous artist. Yeah. You know? And then if people want it to be true, that they tell it to, then it's unstoppable at that point. You know, and who can blame them, really? Do you want to live in a world where Stevie Nicks never had a roadie blow cocaine up her ass? No, Because I, I don't. I don't, you know. No, Do you exactly. want to live in a world where the chick from the Bangles did not record Eternal Flame completely nude in the studio? I, I don't, don't want to no. live in that world. Exactly, exactly. These are just things that happen, and <laughs> I think we're better off for them, so... Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the the vocalist and lyricist sort of gave his reasons for 
that, as you said, mm. about what the song's about. Um, and he also said, I believe, uh, Tom, the song title did not, quote, really mean much, end quote. So no, no. I think there's also that Although, as well. It means nothing. It's easy to say that, but they did thoroughly work the Japanese theme into not just the video, but also the production of the song is full of... Well, it Asian, features... The songs would starts with the classic Canton commercial style. <laughs> ding, 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 yeah, ding, it, fe- ding, it does. It features the oft, the often maligned, um, quote, Oriental riff, yes. end quote, yeah. I believe, and is what people call it. That's so. right. And there's little production flourishes and things all the way through it. You know, the video's got him dancing around with a geisha waving a katana and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Is, is, the, uh, is the Oriental riff... Um, <laughs> Is it incorrectly, you know, given the sort of racist overtones, given that there there was a period of time, um, and I'm not going to say rightfully or wrongfully, but there was a period of time where in Australia, um, and I assume other countries as well, um, it's usually used in a food context where Asian cuisine... These days, Asian cuisine, it's, you know... It's uh, it's as common in Melbourne particularly. It's it's as commonplace, if not more commonplace, than Italian, Greek. Yeah. You know, any sort of internet, Eng- whatever English yeah. food is like. If, if you walk around the city streets of Melbourne, you can get food from every city, country in the world, yeah. basically. And Asian food is is probably the most popular of the bunch, to be honest. When you think about, you know, Southeast Asian, you know, China, oh, all that sort of Japanese, so many different things, so much stuff. But I feel like there was a period of time where maybe that wasn't the case. Oh, yeah. In, and in people, the 80s, and, it was interchangeable. Just yeah. Japanese food and Chinese food were the same thing. And people, If you showed up at a Japanese sushi place and asked for some deep-fried spring rolls and then they didn't have any, you would, you'd be like, what the hell's up with this? Well yeah, exactly. within your rights to punch them, yeah. you know. So was there a period of time where the Australian public needed a little bit of guidance... <laughs> Just a little bit of guidance to say, well, I don't know what sweet and sour pork is. Mm. Where is it? Where is this from? <laughs> oh, it's from Asia. That's right. And then the and then the public it's knows the where it's from. The country of Asia. <laughs> it's from it's the, from the Orient. And then they know where it's from, and they're like, I'm going to give that a go because I had some spring rolls last week and they were rather tasty. Mm. Um, now that's me. Attempting to defend the Oriental Rift, but let's face it, uh, in the year 2024, you could not use that in good faith. Two, I would say the problem here is that in the 80s and even into the early 90s, America, Japan just happened to be lucky slash unlucky enough that um, uh, the Americans went through a love-hate uh, frenemy type thing with Japan where they were obsessed with the culture to the point where it features in a whole bunch of movies yep. just as a, a hallmark for like coolness or yuppiness or fashion or style uh, just expropriating bits and pieces that they felt like taking yeah. and then also simultaneously they were scared of Japan coming over to America and buying everything so there's a bunch of movies where the Japanese are the bad guys or in this, they're synonymous with corporate culture and corporate raiders and that sort of thing going up to perhaps the incredibly xenophobic film Rising Sun which was into <laughs> the fucking 90s yeah. which is just about how you can't trust the Japs because they're going to fucking buy the whole country which apart from anything else they didn't but um, <laughs> because they were going through a fucking giant bubble anyway 
way and then they all lost it. I think they opened one shopping centre in (laughs) Melbourne that shut down subsequently and that's about it. I mean, Pauline Hanson's still keeping this whole thing going well into the 2020. They're taking over the world one one business at a time. (laughs) Now, if this happened now, at least the culture would be treated with some level of respect and deference, whereas because it was the 80s, you could simultaneously love something and be hugely racist about it at the yeah. same time. I'm sure these guys have nothing against the Japanese. No, and no. as as he says, I don't think he was even probably imagining anything to do with Japanese other than just a foreign country while yeah. he was doing it. But that didn't stop him dancing around with a geisha in the video. Plays in the Oriental Rift. That's yeah, right, exactly. doing those Cantong ads, you know, when Cantong for dinner, everybody hungry, Ben. Everybody I'm hungry. not doing the voice either. No. You're going to have to imagine no, my no. eye makeup while I say that. Yeah. But yeah. Fortunately, they didn't do the full eye makeup. No, thing, no, no. He does look like he's having fun waving that katana around. I was a bit jealous of yeah. that sword. I was like, I wouldn't mind having a go on that sword, to be honest. For sure. So, look, you're, you're right. The, the Oriental Riff um, has been used, you know, at times when, it, when I guess it shouldn't have been probably Mm. to put it bluntly um, when it definitely shouldn't have been but um, it was used very tastefully in Beverly Hills Ninja um, (laughs) 1997 I think was that Chris Farley Chris Farley Farley. yes again late 90s still treating Japan as a kind of wacky theme park that you can just absolutely now the vapors like Rocky Burnett before us one song ago they're a certified one hit wonder time 100% yeah Um, they disbanded in 1981 so they sort of released this and then split up not long after I think they only ever had two albums and then they may have reformed and dropped another one like in 2020 or something but yeah even at the time they were they were short lived yeah absolutely they um they they dropped a new album um Sorry. Some time after this, I think it was. So, uh, 2020, I think they did. 2020, yeah. Yeah, seriously. Like, I think think they reformed on the, um, with the sort of, you know, retro tour thing and then they, um, nostalgia tool thing and then they had fun and put out another album yeah exactly so look they they, but they yeah. dropped that album in if it 2020 um let me just check yeah 2020 so 39 years later <laughs> yeah. um so. after after this song so 39 years between albums and look That's a decent they song. are a one-hit wonder at the moment tom but with a new album out, a relatively new album, and hopefully more material to come, there's still an opportunity for them to break the one-hit wonder tag. I think. <laughs> That's so true. That is all true. they need is a timely and tasteful Nicki Minaj reworking of Turning Japanese, um, where she does a wacky facial expression. Um, maybe she can pull some faces and rap about sticking a baseball bat up her snatch or something like that, as she seems to have done in a few <laughs> of her other recent songs. Mm. Um, you know, that the, the one that she did... Uh, Either Sir Mix-a-Lot one, and then she also did that other one recently mm. where she did a very, very similar thing. Um, super freaky girl. So maybe a baseball bat snatch type thing. Yeah. Turning Japanese, do a wacky, ah, Nicki Minaj oh, yeah. thing. They just need an and auto-tuned then, ex-stripper. Yep. Be right and, that'll put, and I think that would get the vapors back up mm. into the public so that people are yes. like, oh, what's this new Nicki Minaj song Oh, about? hey, also, the you vapors. know what's very popular at the moment? Yep. Vaping. Oh, that's true. That's <laughs> they true. They just need to replace that O with an E in their For name. For sure. And the vapors. The vapors. Yeah. There you go. So I got that. Um, and then they can all they need to do, wait for that sort of to bubble back up, either with vaping or the Nicki Minaj thing, Both. and then hit a, a well-timed <laughs> single. That's right. Boom, back to number one. And mm. then they can get rid of that, you know, one-hit wonder <laughs> tag forever. 
I was going to ask what your favourite wanking songs were, but then I remembered, I think I've already asked this possibly more than once. <laughs> it always uh, comes back to I touch myself anyway, uh, doesn't it? Yeah. That's, you know, that's hard to beat. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, I'd say so, <laughs> for sure. That seems to be the most common one, so, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who was that rapper that got stabbed or stabbed someone with a samurai sword? Australian hip-hop guy. Oh. You told me that. Just I was just reminded by the samurai sword thing. Um, <laughs> so, not sure. All right, lyrics. Have you got I've got, I've got no lyrics. It's probably on this, Raid. So. Yeah, I think it probably was like Raid. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this was written by David Fenton. Uh, yep. I've got your picture. I've got your picture. I'd like a million of you all round my cell. I want a doctor to take your picture so I can look at you from inside as well. Uh-huh. May not be about masturbation, but it certainly seems to be about John Wayne Gacy. Again, so another song that sounds quite cheerful until you uh, read the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. to be about a creepy level obsession. But again, like I said, it's a kind of uh, self-aware sort that I'm not so fussed by. Yeah, Absolutely. If you're going to write a song about being a stalker, you should at least know that you're being a stalker. If you don't, then I'm a bit more scared. That's where Kanye starts to worry me a bit. All right, what do we got? 7th of July? Oh, yeah, we do. Just real oh, quick. 300,000. Not many. They've only got we one song. From this only song. got one yeah. song. Okay. Right, Tom. Up next, seventh uh, of July for four weeks. It is the Village People. Uh, yes. Can't stop the music. Yes, this is our only movie song of the year. Yeah. From the uh, title, same title, movie <laughs> slash musical extravaganza. I've never seen it. Have you ever seen it? Oh yeah. Okay, so it's a big sort of. That's fucking garbage. Oh okay. Are they like? The main characters, or are they just in the background doing the songs? Oh, it, it's like a, um, it's like a sort of slightly exaggerated version of their sort of origin story. Oh, guess, okay. So it tells you how the construction worker <laughs> met the yeah. Native American Indian from a hundred years ago. Of okay. sorts. Yep. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, yeah, correct. Also, from the self-titled album, I prefer the 1985 disc Sex Over the Phone myself, but uh, this was <laughs> huge. Um, yeah, correct. So um, this is actually the first release um, with the replacement cop. Tom. Yes, they had a couple of a couple of cops, different lineups. Yeah. yeah. So there was the OG cop Victor Willis. He yeah. left. They got this replacement cop in to do the cop part, yes. and then he left, and they got the original back. Um, and don't look at their Wikipedia page, but if you did, you'd see that there's <laughs> there's about two thousand lineups of the group yeah. at this stage, and there's still a going concern today. Yes. Um, miraculously, despite I think they've only got like one yeah. of the original people in it. Yes, the original dudes were two French producers of disco called Henri Belolo and Jacques Morali. Yep. They created the original concept. Then they got uh, songwriters Peter Whitehead and Phil Hurt in to help them and Peter Whitehead was the only one of those four who was ever one of the actual people in the band one yep. of the actual performers and only briefly so the, the people in the band aren't the people doing 
the music other than singing, basically. Every, the rest of it was a... They were a constructed act, obviously. Yeah, exactly They, right. they seem like that they would be. Yeah. For sure, Tom, yeah. The Village People is a French invention like pasteurisation and the pencil sharpener. <laughs> and like those two things, the Village People have longevity, um, you know, still going today, as we mm. mentioned. But um, it certainly feels like a band that could go on forever because you've got the costumes... <laughs> Yes. Um, someone dies or retires. You just That's get a right. you get a new guy in the leathers. Yeah. Get a new guy Nobody in the Nobody knows cop what uniform. any of them look like outside their uniform, so you yeah. just replace them. With Disco the goes in and out of fashion, so just wait. That's oh, right. the village people are touring again. Oh, they look so young. How have they done it? Well, it's not them. It's fucking people forty right. years younger. Than and them, cleverly, so. I will say, cleverly, they picked costumes which are so they're such generic gay. Yeah. Stud archetypes that they n- never really need to be replaced. None no. of them will. They didn't choose, you know, a brick and mortar bookstore owner, a newspaper publisher, anyone who's <laughs> going to be timed out. There's only one highly questionable one, which is the Native American yeah. Indian, and then you just need to find a studly Native American Indian Correct. who's willing to, you know, betray his grandparents and appear in this sketchy disco band. Yeah. And you've got you've got the full <laughs> exactly flight, right. You know? Yeah, you're right, you're right. I think it's pretty good that out of this, those sort of characters that they've got that, you know, almost all of them have stood the test of time. Yeah. So, um, look, as you said, yeah, they sort of had that um, commercial breakthrough a few years ago with a lot of other big hits, YMCA, et cetera, yep. et cetera, et cetera. That was huge. Um, but this did not chart in the US. Really? It was a flop. Oh. New cop. People didn't want the new cop. They wanted the OG cop. <laughs> old cop. They wanted that. Old cop. They, wanted they that. chanted outside so the record studio. Flop, flop in basically the whole world, <laughs> yep. except for one, reached number one in Australia yeah. and reached number two in New Zealand. So these are the only two countries in the world anyone gave a flying shit about this. <laughs> As you said, it's the title from the soundtrack album of their feature movie, uh, movie Can't Stop the Music, yeah. uh, which, guess what, Tom? Failed to attract an audience anywhere in the world I was going to say with the exception of one country Australia, Australia. God so people love that shit here I bet we really liked Xanadu as well and Greece too <laughs> well, I'm going to get to that in weird. a second Tom. Oh, okay. uh, producer Alan Carr announced the film in June 1979 describing it as quote singing in the rain for the disco crowd yeah um, but it would appear to be both terrible um, because fun fact, Tom, it won the first ever Razzie for worst film. Uh, Razzie yes. started in 1980 yeah. and this was the very first film deemed to be the worst and win that Golden Raspberry Award. Um, and two, it was poorly timed as at this stage in the US there was a rather strong backlash against yes. disco culminating in the mass disco demolition night at a major league baseball game in mid-1979 in which a collection of disco records brought in by fans were blown up on the field Mm. Um, and the field was so badly damaged that the scheduled game could not be played (laughs) and um, 30 people were injured but no deaths yeah i was going to talk about that fairly extensively oh sorry no no you're right who could have predicted it? They uh, they reduced tickets to ninety eight cents less if you were a teenager. Oh, good! And if you brought a disco record along, then they put them inside a, between the two games. They stuck them inside a giant vinyl crate by six foot by six foot. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to move house while carrying vinyl. But yeah. a milk crate That's, full of vinyl yeah. is enough for one person to carry because it's very dense. And yeah, in a development that nobody development that nobody could have seen, fifty thousand people turned up when the team were normally lucky to get fifteen. 
they all got shit-faced drunk by the end of the first game and then threw records all over the ground <laughs> while the teams were trying to play. Uh, Tigers hit a rusty Staub, remember that the records would slice through the air and land sticking out of the ground. <laughs> he urged teammates to wear batting helmets when playing, quote, God almighty, I've never seen anything so dangerous in my life. <laughs> Attendees also threw firecrackers, empty liquor bottles and lighters onto the field. And the game was stopped several times. This is the first game. Yep. Then before the second game, as you say, after rousing the crowd into a frenzy, DJ Steve Dale blew up the crate of vinyl with dynamite, <laughs> sending burning plastic shards all over the grass and making a large hole in the middle of the field. Then thousands of drunk people rushed the field, chased the players away, terrified, and lit a giant bonfire. The riot squad had to come, and the White Sox forfeited the second game Fantastic. because the field was completely unusable. Yeah, well, the question is whether all this disco hate was based in a fear of gay and or black people having too much cultural well, heft is yeah. up for debate. People still talk about whether or whether not it was. But it certainly looks pretty dumb in hindsight. As with the still popular conservative protest technique of setting fire to Barbie dolls, school books, beer cans, coffee makers, team shirts, Nike shoes, Taylor Swift albums, Mr. Potato Heads and unfuckable chocolate mascots... It's not really clear how any of this was going to convince the village people to stop writing music. Yeah. And as this song demonstrates, it didn't. Not to mention that it seems like a third of the population are still struggling with the concept that in order to burn a thing, you need to pay money for it first. Yeah. So all those people with disco records were legitimately purchased disco records that they blow up. But yeah. I mean, granted, most disco was shitty disposable dance music. But to paraphrase Theodore Sturgeon, most of all art is shitty disposable <laughs> art. Correct. You know? Yeah. Exactly that right. That was weird. Disco demolition night. What a strange thing to happen. Has the, the, I don't think there's been a backlash against any type of music no. that's so significant since. I so. talked about that last week. You know, mm. like, can you, I, don't, I don't know if anyone's cared about that. Would Even off the top of your head. I mean, there are types of music I hate, but not enough to... Dynamite. I think I can't recall a sort of public call to arms to come no. and destroy everything about it and denounce something that's been quite I mean, popular. Yeah, for people people hate Nickelback both legitimately and ironically. But yep. if you held a blow up Nickelback thing, people wouldn't bother. I don't turning think you would. That. No, exactly. Certainly, certainly very, very weird. Yeah, no, I'd agree. So, yeah, look, I don't know. Um, so that seemed to be probably. Yeah, bad timing on the singing in the rain for the disco crowd, Tom, that is this yes, film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the... I mean, it must be pretty terrible. It doesn't even have a camp appeal the way like Xanadu and some no. of those are sort of so bad they're good, like the whiz. Yeah. You know, whereas I don't know anybody who's seen Can't Stop the Music. No. So look, I believe Alan Carr, the, apart from me, <laughs> Alan Carr, the producer, um, he did Grease. So oh, made, the original. Made, made a fair, oh, I think, wow. Um, Fuck, yeah. And I think maybe Saturday Night Fever. I think he had a couple of mm-hmm. hits there. Um, and then he had this, which was a complete bomb. But fortunately, he made some money back on Grease 2, I believe, Tom, <laughs> which was, was largely successful. I've still successful, never seen so. Grease 2, but some people go to bat for that film. That's not very good. It's not um, very good. Oh, I wouldn't have thought so, but no, um, it's not. So, Who but yeah. plays the Travolta role? Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell um, you. I just, yeah, obviously. I think it's got Michelle Pfeiffer. It in does it. have Michelle Pfeiffer in it. So you remember you Michelle Pfeiffer, I don't you? I remember Nobody Michelle Pfeiffer. Her. Yeah, but <laughs> Sorry, no. in dude. terms of in terms of greed, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer. I feel like the dude is like someone that no one can even Some remember. Who the fuck it is. Yeah. yeah, like the guy who played Elvis last year. 
Yeah, that much can I remember that guy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it was originally titled More Grease though, Tom. So <laughs> happy with that. Maxwell Caulfield. Yeah, no. Who the fuck knows who that is? Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. So look, bad timing on that. Popular in Australia. Mm. I think yep. the world premiere of the film was in Sydney. Because oh, wow. people just it's the only to, place to care about. So, it. Yeah. I think so. Quite successful here, but yeah, bad film. Um, look, better song. The song's not bad. I don't mind this one. It's mm. not. I don't. It's probably not a tier village people, but it's still pretty, pretty good, isn't it? It's so, all right. Yeah, it's okay. I it's think fine. I when of disco, I prefer the more electro sort yeah. of Diana Ross style yeah. Donna Summer type. The one that's a bit closer to modern dance music where you have it, as opposed to the kind of stompy, chanty KC in the Sunshine Band type yeah. thing. But yeah, yeah the KC exactly. in the Sunshine Band could have just rung them up and said, look, guys, I think this goes on the way out. But yeah. Because, you know, they were still pushing it well through the 80s. Oh, for sure. Although I guess people had to dance to something in the 90s. They did. They know, did, yeah. Even if you're off the charts. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you have a favourite? Were you a fan of the cop, <laughs> the cowboy? The construction worker, the Native American, <laughs> leather man, or the soldier? As a kid, I think I liked the cop because he reminded me of Police Academy. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. And yeah, they like seem the to be too. working on around the same level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think I'd agree with that. So I, I was down with the cop, I think, too. Um, maybe the cowboy. That looks sort of cool. Hang yeah. on, was the cop... And the leather guy separate. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was was remembering a cop in leather, but maybe... No, there's the cop, and then they legitimately have that sort of... Leather daddy. Leather daddy. The biker guy. Exactly. The biker. They they have sort of what, yeah, what you would consider to be sort of like... um, That's sort of like... The cop, the biker, the construction worker, the Indian and... um, Leather man. Did you already say that? The biker, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, The soldier? Soldier? Yeah. There's a soldier. Okay, yeah. I totally forgot the soldier. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Please keep going. No, <laughs> no, no. That's fine, that's fine. Soldier. But yeah, I think um yeah, the the leather daddy's sort of like the the that's continued to be sort of like a gay a gay icon <laughs> yes. type. Outfit. Speaking of police academy, yeah, yeah, like a cowboy. You can dress. I mean, Brokeback Mountain probably made it gayer than what cowboys. Oh, it's the cowboy. Of, but yeah, but yeah. the cow. But you know, like so, Not yeah, there's the there's nothing necessarily. Because that's the thing, I think, like, it was sort of probably, I won't say a weird time, but an unusual time for a band to, because they were sort of, I don't really know whether they were marketed as, oh, look at us, we're like a gay band. Or it was just a group that had um, some gay imagery in there. Yes. Um, I think only two of the five or six members were actually gay. I think most of them were just straight dudes. But they're obviously sort of um, had that, Hey, look, you know, we're doing mainstream dance music, but oh, yeah. hey, we're also appealing to sort of, I guess, probably. Yeah. I mean, village people probably had what some of the first what we'd consider to be gay anthems, maybe. Yeah, perhaps. Well, I mean, disco was a big, you know, the, the early nightclubs and stuff had a lot of gay sort of influence in, you know, both in the mainstream and in the underground sort of thing. But they, yeah, I mean, you could have a song like YMCA, which was a massive radio hit. Despite being, I mean, it's not, you don't have to know it's about picking up dudes at the gym, but 
even even if you're listening to that in suburbia and had no idea about gay culture at all, you might be thinking, why are these guys doing a whole song about going to a gym? Yeah, like going to. The- <laughs> you can hang out with all the boys, <laughs> Tom. Extremely that's enthusiastic about this, and like their iconography too. You know, you only have to go slightly below the surface to think, ah, oh, okay, that guy's not a biker. <laughs> something else is happening here. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if the village people came out today, would they get cancelled for the opposite reason, being that they'd be appealing to the gay subculture when most of them are straight? <laughs> yeah, probably. Sort of and like the, and the, the Native American too would be a big problem. Native American was, uh, yeah, his persona non grata these days. He's out, but then sort of yeah. like going, wait a minute, you guys are sort of doing gay imagery, you've got the leather man, you're sort of trying to be mm. gay, you're trying to write gay anthems, you're going for a gay audience... Most of you guys are straight. I don't know whether this works. Yeah, no, so I, I see think what perhaps you mean. That'd it could be reverse cancelled. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of like for do it. Yeah, for, for sort of pandering to something that they're not. Whereas back in these days, they sort of had to. The gay guys are the ones that had to probably yeah. pretend because they didn't want to upset the housewives. But also, anyway. the name the village people too would be a reference to what the East Village or something in New York. Yeah, which yeah, yeah. Would be that's one correct. Of the looser, gayer areas yep. too. Of, you know, so yeah, absolutely. So look, they, walk, um, they walked up to the line of. You they know. did, they did, and no, I think it was. I think it's good because, um, yeah, look, th- this one's not my favourite, but um, they've no. they've got. I think if once again, if you if you if I was forced to make a, you know, disco playlist of disco bangers, oh yeah, it'd have to be a village people song. Oh, right? for sure, yeah. have to be. Goes without saying. Um, probably nothing off the Grease 2 soundtrack, <laughs> to the best of my knowledge. But yeah, you got some lyrics on this? Uh, yeah, credited to songwriters Peter Whitehead and Phil Hurt. Uh, as I said, own, of the four writers, uh, only Peter Whitehead was ever in the actual group. Phil Hurt went on to work with Hall & Oates, The Persuaders, and many rappers, Ooh. including LL Cool J, The Game, Jay-Z, DMX, and Christian radio favourite Nass, with the song N.I.G.G.E.R, bracket, The Slave and the Master, end bracket, which is, yeah, as I said, still gets a lot of Christian radio play to this day. It does, yeah. On the radio, on every TV show, for each and every reason, each and every season, Music when we love for the moon above. Music for the show of life that never ends. Music on a plane. Music on a train. Sailing on the ocean. Music in the motion. Music in your car. At your local bar. There's music when you look at a star. Now, Spinal Tap once observed, didn't they, Ben, that there's a fine line between stupid and clever. (laughs) Correct. This reminded me of Madonna's track Music, a bit, where the message is just, how good is music? Pretty good, right? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it is pretty good. She's not not, the, wrong. not this song, obviously, no. <laughs> but like in general. General, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they if they if that's really how they feel, then sure, go yeah. for it. You know, it does have a touch of the th- knowing now, as I didn't know until I did this research, that it comes from French disco. It does make a lot more sense that the, there is a sort of ESL filtered through, you yeah. know, five hefty African Americans uh, vocal chords that it yeah it makes a bit more sense when you think of it like that absolutely right no agreed agreed um 4.8 mil on the spotify yeah fuck that's not bad not bad they've got a lot of hits so but they've they've, all, they've got a lot of hits in a genre that's probably yeah. not right now the yes. most popular for but. a band where none of the people you think of as being in the band probably get any of the money from any of this oh, they correct, did quite yeah. well yeah, yeah. yeah exactly Exactly. Let's have something a bit more lasting and meaningful, Ben. What oh, Tom, 4th of August for two weeks, we've got Lip Sync. 
<laughs> Funky Town. <laughs> yes. Now, now, you might be thinking, hey, you guys have already fucking covered this song. Too, yeah, yeah. Um, covers always better than the original Tom um, <laughs> this cannot hold a flame to the 1986 pseudo echo version <laughs> true. Um, what this song really needed was a pass through the Melbourne new wave scene to bring it to its full mm. potential I dare mm. say so but this is the original yep. so um, yeah obviously it's shitter I mean that goes without saying but it's, <laughs> it's still very, passable yeah it's very simple but it's very effective yep exactly late period disco Classic example of it, mm. down to the sax break, violin stabs, insultingly simple lyrics, vocals better than it probably deserves, yeah. and a two-bar organ line they came up with in five minutes that'll get stuck in your head for several decades. Yeah. It is very catchy, that. Yes. <laughs> it, do, it does sound like someone stabbing at a piano with, like, chopsticks yeah, or something. Like, oh, yeah, so. yeah. Lips, Inc. started as a project of Stephen Greenberg, not Steve Gutenberg, as I initially oh, thought. Oh, no. Every time I look at that, it looks like Steve Gutenberg, speaking of uh, Police Academy. When he was a <laughs> wedding DJ who wanted to try his hand at writing disco songs. Good. He wanted the name Lip Sync, but it was in use by another group. So instead he chose the homophone Lips Inc. Inc. Yeah, good. Um, he met Cynthia Johnson while auditioning singers for his song Rocket. Uh, Johnson joined the project and Lip Sync became a duo. I hate to say it, but I am not sure which of the three vocalists featured in the video is actually Cynthia Johnson, if she's any of them. But yeah, she does have a good voice. I think her voice elevates this more than it. A bit like Diana Ross's disco stuff. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it brings it a bit above what it could be. Yeah, and uh, anyway, their first release was the single Rocket from the debut Mouth to Mouth in late 79. Mm. Um, I hate to break it to you, Tom, but mm-hmm. she was none of them. None of them? Yeah. <laughs> well, they were just miming. Oh, yeah. Man, there's a, there's, there's an guys. irony in using the Lipsync <laughs> name that has not been lost on me and I hope was not lost on the inventors of the band because mm, mm. Lipsync employed the Eurodance technique, Tom, of not using the actual singer <laughs> ah, yes. of the song in the music video, mm. um, of which there were two music videos for this song oh, and the okay. actual singer featured in neither of them. Yeah. Um, additionally, Tom, there are actually two Lipsync um, Weirdly. So there was the American lip sync. And then the face of the group in Europe was a completely different non-member of the actual lip sync. They performed on TV with uh, backing dancers and was so popular that this lip sync would perform around Europe um, as a different, distinct group without any of the actual members. And (laughs) what they did was, Tom, they would lip sync... The songs at these concerts. The Fucking sweet, hell. sweet irony. I, I, I feel like uh, you couldn't make this shit up, could you? No. So it would be a good decade before Millie Vanilli became the scapegoats for actual mm. lip syncing, despite the fact that I'm certain it's happened before and continues to happen. Or the studio trickery is such that even the worst vocalists can be made presentable. But yeah, yeah so... That Eurodance thing where let's just get yeah. fucking anyone in on the music video. They did yeah. that, lip syncing the song. Um, so, holy that, shit. So they kind of franchised the band out. Yes, overseas. they did. Fucking hell. They I, can't, I can't help but think this and the village, the village people is the kind of thing that would make people want to demol- 
blow up a whole crowd oh, exactly. full of your records on a fucking... And then yeah. when people are like, what's the band name? Lip Sync? Oh, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> You're parading it right in front of us. You're not even <laughs> being subtle like, about it. God almighty. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this was the second single from this album. It spent four weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and the Hot Dance Music Play charts in the yep. US. The seven-inch single sold over two million copies within a few months and wow. it was awarded a platinum record within the year of its release. Uh, and it was also a number one here, Canada, Germany, Norway, and the Netherlands, and got to number two in the UK. Nice. Have you heard Rocket, the other single from this? No. Album? It's so simple, it sounds like proto-EDM. A bit, okay. a bit like this song. You yeah. can do the entire thing with a computer now, except for her legit good vocals, and then she's not even who you're looking at yeah. anyway. No, <laughs> yeah. fair enough. So, yeah, I guess you could say it is proto. Uh, <laughs> definitely, this is the start of dance music. Yeah, I guess yeah. maybe, what, if this was made late seven, like late 79, early 80, maybe, yeah, the technology available was just such that it wasn't sort of... No, you had to do your own... Yeah. You had to get an actual violinist to do the violin yeah, stands. Yeah. You couldn't just go... Dab, 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 dab. <laughs> Although <laughs> they do, they, they're getting in there with this. I, was, I wasn't sure whether to call this a synth or an organ. I was like, did they have synths at this point? Or was they it still have, using yeah. electrical? Real, real shit synths. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the songwriter, as you said, Steve Green, uh, Stephen Greenberg, he indicated that Funky Town mm-hmm. is uh, New York City time. Yes, we did discuss he, that. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that. He was he was living elsewhere, um, and then came to New York and went. This is Funky Town. Yeah, begs the question though: What's the funkiest town in Australia? <laughs> Well, I was in Surface Paradise recently. Wouldn't wouldn't call that funky. No, not the Gold Coast. No, okay. I'd call it groody. Yeah, it's not the same thing. Um, hmm. Mullumbimby. Mullumbimby. Hmm. I've never been to Mullumbimby. It's not Nimbin. It's the home of Iggy Azalea um, and people burning down 5G towers. So, pretty funky to me. I don't know. It's pretty funky. Yeah. Why are they burning down 5G towers? Uh, coronavirus, Tom. Oh, it's, okay. it's just, why, why would you ask such a question? Yeah, you true. must know that. Are they doing that because they're hippies? Is this uh, Nimbin-style uh, town? Kind of, yeah. Oh, I, think okay. that's, I think that's the case. I think 5G towers... Um, no one knows what 5G Tom does. No one knows no. What, what it does. I think, it, I think what it does is it, it kills you. Yes. Um, or gives you coronavirus. Or one of the controls two. controls your brain. Or controls okay. your brain. So we've got to destroy them. Stick with 4G. People are, <laughs> people are quite happy with, you know, um, you know streaming stuff and, and, you know, a lot of just that spinning wheel. So they don't mind buffering. They're happy with a bit of buffering in That's up right. there. So it's okay. Yes. Now, Steve, Stephen Greenberg, you mentioned he's sort of what the, he was the mastermind behind Lip Sync, mm. is that right? Wrote the song, yes. um, produced it, that sort of thing. Uh, and, and what I like about this is that you find that often people that start off in you know certain aspects of the music business end up in other aspects of the music business. Mm. So someone might be in a band and then they end up being a producer, or someone you know makes music videos and ends up you know. So there's there's often a lot of people that start off doing one thing, learn some skills, and then go off to do something else. Yeah. And that's the same with Steven Greenberg. So um, mastermind behind Lip Sync, he became um, the A and R vice president for Mercury Records. Oh, okay. Um, so he ended up getting out of this, you know, after he did Lip Sync, 
you know, and this is a great song, I think, and he was able to sort of use that. You know that he has a good taste in music because he was able to put together something like this. That, you know, even though it's sounded a bit primitive, it, it is quite long-lasting. It does have mm. longevity. Pseudo Echo went, look, this is good enough for us to cover, which shows once again what a great song it is. And so he obviously has good taste in music. We could mm. see that from his very beginning. And it's unsurprising that he went on to sign Hanson, um, the Baha men and Joss Stone. So, yeah, he's, he's got quite quite the record there, mm, I think. So, wow. Three um, heavy hitters who are still as relevant today as they ever were. The for time. sure, for sure. Um, does it surprise you that the man behind <laughs> Funky Town was also the man behind Who Let the Dogs Out in some capacity? <laughs> Not at all. Uh, I think... Have you ever seen the film uh, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane Rock and Roll? Detective? I have, yeah. There's a song in that uh, sung by Ed O'Neill from Married with Children repeatedly yeah. called Booty Time, Booty Time Across the USA, <laughs> which is a failed disco song. And listening to this made me think that Booty Time, had it actually come out, would probably have been a much bigger success than it is portrayed as having <laughs> been in that film because it's yep. a lot more complicated and nuanced than this fucking song is. Absolutely. The fact that this guy went on to uncover the masterpiece of letting the dogs out and fucking Joss Stone does not not surprise me. Fair enough. Lyrics. Joss Stone was probably above his comfort level (laughs) of talent in that she had more than one song. Yeah, that's correct. uh, Lyrics, as as I said, this is proto-EDM and as such, its lyrics are the least important thing about it. They pretty much repeat, won't you take me down to Funky Town for five minutes and then the song ends. It would probably be better spent standing on the side of the road with your thumb out waiting for a lift to Funky Town, I think. Mm. I believe they tried the song first as Won't You Abduct Me to a Funky Basement, but people preferred <laughs> this version <laughs> where it has a slightly more optimistic ending. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, what um, 3.8 million oh, monthly God, listeners, That's which too many for surprises this me song. given they've sort of only got this song, but Funky. I think it probably got a bit of a bump, Tom, because it did feature in Minions, The Rise of Group, Ooh. so... I think that probably gave it that extra sort of step back up in, into that. Fucking minions have got a lot to answer Tell me for. about it. Absolutely. All right, Tom, 18th of August for six weeks. It's uh, <laughs> Genghis Khan, Moscow. <laughs> yes. Now, some of the songs from this year being the first year of the decade, mm-hmm. 1980, yep. some of them sound modern, some of them sound contemporary, <laughs> some of them sound like they're pushing things in a new interesting direction, mm. using new technology, new recording techniques, etc., <laughs> to come up with something that's sort of, yes. you know, at the same time new and modern, but hopefully long has some longevity mm-hmm. that's interesting. Um, and other songs uh, this year in 1980 sound like they're a thousand years old. <laughs> yes. This one um, being that, recorded in 1979, then mm. redone in early 1980 um, as an English language version, it mm. could have come out in 12 BC. I think it yes. sounds that fucking old. I think it sounds like it was written during the reign of Genghis Khan. <laughs> That's how fucking old it sounds like. Well, yeah, they formed uh, Genghis Khan or Genghis Khan. Yeah. Which is the German? Whatever I can't pronounce to. it. It's, it's got two spellings. Genghis, Genghis. One, one is the fuck. German spelling for uh, Genghis Khan. Yeah. Uh, they were a Eurodisco pop band who formed in Munich in 1979, specifically to compete in the Eurovision Song Contest. That's unsurprising. Which doesn't surprise <laughs> you at all. Uh, they also came back in 1986 and didn't win then either. Oh, but no. as you say, this song does have that kind of oddly dated yet timeless sound that a lot of Eurovision... From Eastern European. Eastern European 
Eurovision Song Contest things do sound like, where they sound like, with a slight tweak of production, as you say, this could be from 1942 or 2005. Oh, exactly. If you just changed the speed on the beat setting and then added a couple of different orchestras. It's when you there. use those sort of, um, what's like traditional yes. Eastern European yes. instruments and scales, I think yeah. you use that. Except sort of, weirdly... Or flutes or whatever. I always just assumed, or not I assumed, but... Well, to be honest, I, yeah, look, what was I going to say? Pop songs about historical figures were a trend of the era. Mm. Genghis Khan, Rasputin by Boney M, Waterloo by ABBA, <laughs> and Shaken Stevens, the Pol Pot twist. But to be completely honest, I'd always assumed that this either was a Boney M song, probably because it sounds exactly like one, except not as good because Boney M fucks, or yeah. it was by a Russian band pretending to sound like Boney M, so to find out that it's they're actually German, so not only is it a weird, affected, sketchy folk pop song, but it's also a fake one because they're just they're <laughs> just doing Russian cosplay for a laugh yeah. too, you know. But yeah, fuck, it's weird. Everything about it's weird, exactly. So um, yeah, as you mentioned, Eurovision put together for that. Um, because they finished fourth, that spurred the group on to continue, and they dropped six albums between 1979 and 1983, which is a lot of material, a lot more than I thought. But um, yeah. So the, the song they did at Eurovision was um, also titled uh, Genghis Khan, as like a yep. self-titled type track or whatever, and then this song, uh, Moscow, was yep. the sort of follow-up, which reached the top ten in like a few like European countries. Yes in its original German and didn't really do that much elsewhere but then they re-released it in English and it topped the charts here and nowhere else in the fucking world yes and that's because it was used <laughs> um, Channel 7 which is mm. a major network one of the one of the big networks here in Australia uh, used it as the theme to their coverage of the 1980 Moscow Olympics mm, yes that went a long way back in those days yeah I personally preferred the theme song to Chris Conroy's World of Boats <laughs> which yeah. is an actual <laughs> instrumental uh, classic do you remember it, that one uh, I do it's uh, fantastic I think it's called Orion possibly yeah it was a, that was a real song yeah. uh, that was played at um, one of the Olympics it was it was a theme song for some games What's but, yeah. the, the weird oh, thing? Oh, it's a Emerson Lake and Palmer, Palmer fanfare for the common man. Fuck yeah! Was uh, that was that's a couple of years before this. Hopefully that'll pop up. Charts. I'm just trying to say that back then, if you when the you've things, only got yeah. two or three channels, yeah. if you play something for for six months, then that's a big that's a big kick up the pants. But that's what I find weird is that if this is on a sports telecast, particularly the Olympics, it would have been on all day every day mm. for about two weeks so even after hearing the song possibly up to a hundred times a day <laughs> on the sports telecast mm. people just couldn't get enough of this bullshit they went out and bought the single enough yes. people did this to get it to number one for six consecutive weeks so I can also, only put this down to a bout of collective madness weren't we supposed to be fucking boycotting the Olympics oh yeah I thought so <laughs> weren't we against Russia like why uh, are we buying a song about well I think what happened was America boycotted the Olympics and they went oh that gives us a chance to actually win some medals because they won't be in it so <laughs> true, Australia just yeah. went up and we showed up I think that's so. true the UK did too I would have thought they would yeah. boycott it as well um, yeah this went nowhere anywhere else except West Germany getting to number three East Germany, in case you wondered, couldn't listen to it because the group was banned in the USSR for anti-communism, which oh, is a bit what? odd given that this song seems to be about how badass Russia is. But, yeah. That's crazy. Uh, well, speaking of which, lyrics? 
Well, I was just about to say, um, not one to miss an opportunity, Tom. Um, Genghis Khan re-recorded Moscow with new lyrics for the 2018 FIFA World Cup, <laughs> um, which was hosted in Russia, if you, if you can How recall correctly. How are they correctly. still around? Oh, now? fuck knows. I don't know. But what I will say, Tom, is I hope... 38 years yeah, later. I hope the rights holders have drained enough cash out of the track, mm. as I dare to say that any cultural goodwill remaining in the song in 2024, which I assume is minimal due to it sounding horribly dated 40 mm. years ago, that any goodwill remaining would have been obliterated once, you know, Putin attacked the Ukraine, as I'm not sure anyone will be able to sing a jaunty feel-good song about Moscow for some time, yeah. if ever. So um, <laughs> even after that 2018 re-recording, hopefully that, that'll put this to bed. We won't have to worry about it ever again. Well, not that yes. Russia will ever get the opportunity to host anything ever again, one would have thought. So mm. maybe the Olympics, Winter Olympics in 2030, people will have forgotten about that pesky invasion in a couple of years, so it'll be okay. There do seem to be about as many people in the band as there are in the current Russian armed forces, so maybe they didn't get yeah. enough of the pie back in 1986 or 1980. Absolutely. But yeah. look, miraculously, the group's still going today um, in, with no original members, <laughs> but they're still pretty proceeding on no idea who's paying money for any sort of live show or their output but i am sort of looking in the general direction of turkmenistan tom mm, so. i was going to say i could imagine russia doing it weirdly enough because they're pretty desperate these days but yeah yeah it doesn't sound like they're very popular i think there. somewhere where the internet is banned and they only have one newspaper mm. one radio station that sort of thing so It'd be weird if the unofficial theme song of your country was written by people from another country oh yeah you know, imagine if there was a hit song called Australia written by Finland or something. <laughs> Could happen. A bit weird. Could happen, exactly. Lyrics. Uh, lyrics, lyrics. okay. Uh, well, yeah. Moscow, queen of the Russian land, built like a rock to stand, proud and divine. Moscow, your golden towers glow even through ice and snow. Okay, so there's the English version. Then there's also the Russian original as seen on YouTube. Yeah. But the English lyrics of the English version don't match the Russian originals. They oh. just made up kind of they did their own version. So I managed to track down the actual translation of the Russian originals as they're a bit more interesting. Uh, Moscow, Moscow, vodka is supposed to be drunk pure and cold, lets you live until you're a hundred years old. Moscow, Moscow, my dear old man, your glass is empty, but there's more in the cellar. Cossacks, hey, hey, raise your glasses. Natasha, ha, ha, you are beautiful. Sounds like an average night out in Lena Valley. And I think it's a shame <laughs> they had to change the original to sound more like an ad for the Russian tourist board. Yes, correct. Absolutely. Mm. Um, <laughs> better, though, about a bit of vodka, it left to be 100. Yeah, Good stuff. yes. Good stuff. And funnily enough, neither version, although the actual translation is a bit more severe, a bit more Russia, proud and cold, it... Neither of them are unflattering. I don't know. No. If the Russians objected to something of the USSR, they must have must have been their other output. Maybe Absolutely. they didn't think Genghis Khan was faithful enough. Genghis Khan, another person who's neither Russian nor German. No, no, but no. <laughs> I don't know. No idea. Anyway. Attila um, the Hun, you would think, would have been a better choice, but what are you going to do? 1979, Eurovision, anything goes, I think, Tom. <laughs> anything right. goes. I think Bing Tittle Bong won that year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 700,000 on Spotify. Oh, yeah. 
artists. Okay. That's a lot. But, um, that is you, a lot. But, you know, Russian Spotify only has two artists. So <laughs> Must have been that 2018. Yeah. You mean yeah. both the members of Tattoo? Tattoo, yeah. <laughs> correct. Their solo careers. <laughs> yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. All right, Tom. 29th of September for four weeks. It is Diana Ross Upside Down. Oh, yes. This yeah. is a late era disco banger. It absolutely is, yeah. This is the better kind of disco, I reckon. Yeah. Possibly because this was written and produced by Chic members Niall Rogers and Bernard Edwards as the lead single from Ross's 11th studio album, Ooh. Diana, and was the biggest solo hit of her career. Yep. Yeah. Uh, in a 2011 interview, Rogers said, Ross was the first big star we ever worked with and we took it very seriously. Rogers and Edwards interviewed her for several days this was the first time in her life somebody cared about who she was, what she was. Everyone previously had treated her the way we had treated Sister Sledge. They mm. got her in and said, seeing this, we took a more personal approach. Now, whether that's true or not, despite it, their studio liaison with Ross was not a success. <laughs> Maybe she liked being told to sing this and not having her time wasted. But yeah, she disliked the results of their sessions and gave them specific remixing instructions. They made slight changes and suggested that if she didn't like them, she could get them remixed herself. Ross did so, <laughs> reworking oh. the whole album with Motown chief engineer and mixer Russ Tarana to downplay the funk element and make her voice more prominent. Okay, But yeah, I think... Her voice is great, but I think the funk element is kind of what keeps this alive. Yeah, it, yeah. This is a banger. The baseline rules. This is better than standard disco. I would say this is closer to, like, dancey pop funk, which yep. reminds me of, like, early Whitney, you know, at the other end of the 80s yeah, when yeah. she was still doing, like, club bangers. Club bangers with a rad voice, kind of. Yeah. Absolutely. No, agreed, agreed. I think that, um, yeah, this is sort of... Falls under the disco umbrella, but it's not totally. super disco, yeah. It's agreed. at the high end of disco. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I was surprising that um, this was, A, her only number one single in Australia, but also that in Australia, the Supremes had no number one songs. We There was a number one single we talked about oh, yeah. last year, but that was a duet. duet. Yeah. yeah, so she's only had this and the, the Lionel Richie duet. No, so the Supremes had... They had 12 number one Fucking songs hell. in America. God almighty. Like none yeah. here. So for whatever reason, what the Supremes sound was not as popular down So she had 11 albums yep. after the Supremes. So yep. 12 number ones, then 11 albums, 10 more number ones. Yep. Oh, fucking crazy. Yeah, Tom. And she really hammered the um, the self-titled album name, Weezer <laughs> style. In night, she had 1970, Diana Ross. 1976, Diana Ross. 1978, <laughs> Ross. 1980, Diana. 1983, Ross. And the 2015 explanatory album title, Diana Ross Sings Songs from the Wiz. So, <laughs> and is, I think this one's Diana. Yeah, is that, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So she she had just she just went a I lot mean, of self time. That is a power move. I yep. will say you could like she wouldn't do it because she's not quite that egotistical I don't think but speaking of Taylor Swift she, at the moment now she could just release albums called Taylor, Taylor and people would just do the name for her they'd, they'd add the one with the fish on the cover yeah. or the fish 2024 or, or yeah, 2025 exactly. you know you, yeah the green one or whatever and, yeah, and it, it also different. says people people will pay attention to me and get my next album yeah she should <laughs> I reckon she should just drop five just called Taylor <laughs> over the next three years. So, mm. absolutely. Yeah. For uh, sure. The vi- did you see the video for yep. this? 
good. Kind of sucky, I thought. <laughs> it's a painful reminder that the 70s idea that any pop song could be improved with orchestral flourishes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The no. one I saw, she was in front of an orchestra. Yeah. There may be others. No, that's the one I saw. Kind of boring, yeah. Yeah. Compared to the song, so. Oh, it, to, to her credit, this was very early. Yeah, early absolutely. Days. Uh, in 1981, in 1981, for in a better video, uh, performing this live in LA, she got Michael Jackson to come up from the front oh. row and finish the song with her. It's on YouTube if you want. She's in the round, like she's just standing on a thing about as big as this rug in the middle of you know, like twenty thousand people. It's pretty cool. It takes yep. a lot of balls to perform under that circumstance. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, speaking of Michael Jackson, like most normal heterosexuals over his life, Michael Jackson had obsessions with it girls like Elizabeth Taylor. Brooke Shields and Princess Diana but Diana Ross was always his idol the two became close after Jackson signed on with Motown as a child of nine and lived together with her afterwards in a totally normal way when Jackson made his solo debut in 71 he did it on one of Ross's TV specials mm. they were so close in fact that some speculated that his plastic surgeries were done to make him look like her Good. In 86, Jackson visited Ross backstage at Caesars Palace in Vegas. When she entered her dressing room, Jackson was putting on her makeup, transforming himself into Ross in a totally normal situation. <laughs> Jackson once demanded that a chauffeur driving around Beverly Hills address him as Miss Ross. In his autobiography, Moonwalk, he called Ross, my mother, my lover, and my sister all rolled into one. <laughs> The fact that Ross also publicly mentioned her attraction to him emphasised the totally normal Padme-Anakin aspect of their relationship. <laughs> when she married for the second time, he was very jealous, although they reconciled afterwards, and when he died, his will named Ross as the backup mother to his three children, all named Michael in a totally normal way. Their biological mother, by the way, was not mentioned in a way many called totally normal. But yeah. I was going to ask, if you were nine years old, entering the world of pop music, who would you choose as your mentor slash parental substitute? Um, that's a very good question. Probably Britney Spears. She seems <laughs> very capable. I can think of a few advantages of that. <laughs> sure. I probably would have said Macklemore or Kyle Sandilands. Ah, uh, both of those. Maybe R. Kelly, because well. I think he really understands children. You know. Absolutely. Um, my mother, lover, and sister all rolled into one is mm. probably one of the weirdest things he's ever yeah. said. And, and that list from is Tasmania, very, you know. very <laughs> fucking long list of mm. weird shit that he yeah. said over the years. No, so. they had a lifelong weird relationship. Yep. So yeah. here's the question, though. Um, Michael Jackson was obviously obsessed with Diana Ross. Absolutely. As you've just pointed out. Um but Diana Ross, for a period of time, dated Gene Simmons from Kiss. Oh, really? Yeah. God. During so, the disco era, I guess. So I think... Kiss were disco for a bit. Yeah. It, they were on a disco label, too. So it begs the question, um, was there something going on with Diana Ross as well? Cocaine. Yeah. Yep, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had one thing in common. It yep. came in plastic bags <laughs> and Definitely. was freely available. Uh, I feel uh, like I, if you've dated Gene Simmons for, for three years oh, and God. you've sort of got a weird relationship with Michael Jackson, mm. things that things maybe are. Maybe you've got a type. Are, yeah, <laughs> complete <maybe> fucking lunatics. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. Um, lyrics for this one. Sure. Uh, this is another song written by a cucking enthusiast. Oh, yeah? I know you got charm and appeal. You always play the field. I'm crazy to think you're all mine. 
as long as the sun continues to shine, there's a place in my heart for you. That's the bottom line. Uh, respectfully, I say to thee, I'm aware that you're cheating, but no one makes me feel like you do. Mm. The forgiveness for philandering makes more sense than using thee in a song. Yeah. Everyone knows that means he ran out of rhymes. Sorry. Got to think of another word. Try tree or something. Yeah. There's plenty of other words that aren't the. If you can't fit the in, then change it to something else. Absolutely. <laughs> it's fucking idiotic. I knew Megan the Stallion was trouble when she put the in her own name. Oh, tell me about That's it. That's fucking obnoxious as fuck. Yeah. All know. right. 7.5 mil for Diana Ross, um, which probably makes sense because I'm sure she, there's a shitload of Supremes listeners as well. It's oh, a separate fuck entity, yeah. so I'm surprised pretty it's good. not higher, to yeah, be honest. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Uh, 27th of October for two weeks. It's Leo Sayer, more than I can say. Two weeks. Yes. Emotional. Is this emotional? Is, is, is this getting yeah. the emotion going? Yeah. This is a cover, so yeah. therefore must be better than the original. Yes, correct. Uh, originally written by Sonny Curtis and Jerry Allison, both former members of Buddy Holly's band, The Crickets. Mm. They recorded it in 59, soon after Holly's death, and released it in 1960 as The Crickets. Uh, it's also been covered by The Beatles and Bobby V, among other Ooh, people. Ooh, there yeah. you go. I, a question I had... When yep. I was younger, which I was never quite sure of, because he was a bit before my time, but mm. was Leo Sayer Australian, Ben? Um, he's from the UK. He was born in the UK. Yes. Uh, but then he moved to Australia. Yes. And so has he... lived in Australia for some time. So I believe, yeah, British born, but he's resided in Australia for such yep. a long period of time now. I think he has an Australian um, citizenship. Like, citizenship. Yeah. Yep, yep. So, and his success was had here, I think. That's a good question. I'm not sure about that point. I yeah, think maybe. Mostly. Yeah, I, yeah. I think he's in Australia at this point. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so certainly. I was never quite sure when I saw him on Hey Hey Saturday where he appeared. Briefly. Yeah. So, <laughs> definitely Australian now at this point in time in 1980. Yeah, mm. not 100 percent certain, but yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, he's lived here for for a long time. Look, he's a man of refined taste, Tom. Um, and he did mention about living in Australia. He did say, uh, quote, I do miss Marks and Spencer sandwiches. So um, a supermarket sandwich, a sandwich you buy at a supermarket is what he misses most about the UK, which hmm. says about as much about the UK as it does him. Um, what do you miss about England? Oh, I love, you know, living in Australia is great, but I, you know what I really miss, Tom? You know what I really miss? Sandwiches from a supermarket. That's what I really pre pre-made mm. supermarket sandwiches. But he does go on, Tom. It's not just sandwiches that he misses. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just miss supermarket sandwiches. He also does say, quote, and proper cheddar. Quote, also places like the British Library in London with all those books. End quote. <laughs> Look, Leo, you've lived in Australia for some time. I know you're slumming it down here in the Southern Hemisphere in Australia. But look, hopefully one day. One day, Leo, if you just stay here long enough, we here in Australia may have supermarket sandwiches, cheese, and libraries. <laughs> Hopefully, one day we will have those things. I mean, it's funny you say that because uh, I worked with a lovely Welsh guy a couple of years ago, mm. and he did talk about he had no he'd just moved here. He'd only been here for a couple of years, yeah, and he loved it here. He had no they bought a house. They had no plans to leave, but he did say that he reckoned. The one thing 
that he thought Australia didn't have that you could make heaps of money by getting going here was a Marks and Spencers type thing. Yeah. So he obviously did miss the Marks and Spencers sandwiches as well. Did he miss um, books? <laughs> was he? Did, did you ask him about that? I think uh, by this point he'd figured out that we also had libraries. Oh, okay. So good, yeah, good, 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 good. What about okay cheddar? The books. <laughs> cheddar. <laughs> you just can't get that. <laughs> no, you can't get it. It's no, impossible you to find. Certainly can't go to the Queensland markets and get two thousand dollars <laughs> worth of cheese while you're trying <laughs> to just buy a lettuce like I do every. No, 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 no. And I'm pretty, I think the supermarket, I think their, their cheese section is 95% cheddar. Mm. But, yeah, anyway. There was a very, very specific time when a tiny man with a large Jufro could be a pop star. Mm, yeah. As a child, I thought that Richard Simmons and Leo Sayer were the same person because what they looked like, they're related. It still makes some sense to me now. But this was probably the peak of his fame. In the last few years before this, he'd had two sequential US number one hits, uh, won a Grammy for You Make Me Feel Like Dancing and even cooler guest starred on The Muppet Show. So, yeah, this his version <laughs> of this old, very old song spent five weeks at number two on the Billboard chart, certified gold by the RIAA. It also spent three weeks at number one on the adult contemporary chart and got to number two in the UK. So this was a legit international hit. Mm. So, yeah, it was also another Taxi Club. Sayer said he was looking for a golden oldie for his album Living in a Fantasy and saw a TV commercial for a Greatest <laughs> Hits collection by Bobby V. You know, there's ones they used to run oh, in Jesus. the middle of the night and, and chose the song on the spot. We went into a record store that afternoon, bought the record and had the song recorded that night. So, yeah, so not particularly He's literally original, fucking phoning it in. How, how nice just must that be to yeah. be like... Oh, I've got to release a new album. I've only got a couple of songs. Watch some TV. Oh, yeah, that one on the ad. No, Fuck it, no. let's just do that. Covers. Record it later that day. He'd never heard the song before. He records it later that day. Bands still do covers nowadays. It still well, happens. Yeah. But in the in the 70s and 80s, it was a lot more yep. commonplace. You could do a full album of covers and no one would bat an eye. It wouldn't be called your covers album or anything. It would just be, you know, it's just normal. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, he sold 30 million albums worldwide, which boggles, boggles the fucking mind. He, he must have been the real deal for yeah. some time. Um, for a I guess Australian, um, that's amazing. Yeah, definitely. You make me feel like dancing. I guess that was a big hit. Yep. Still gets played. This. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, apparently, so he's done that. Um, around the time that this song came out, he was living the dream in Los Angeles. I think he'd spent some time over mm-hmm. in LA. Um in Hollywood, he said he was living there. He'd hung out with superstars. This this is the typical day, okay, for yeah. Leo Sayer at the, at the top of his career. Ready for this, Tom? Mm-hmm. Coffee with Bette Midler. Wow. Yep. Time, spending time with Paul McCartney at Tower Records. Wow. Boom. Boom. Chatting on the phone to Elvis. Wow. Absolutely. Fuck, he was still alive, wasn't he? Yeah, for sure. And he had this to say, uh, quote, I happened to meet Ginger, Elvis's girlfriend at the time of his death, and she said, Elvis has been so excited at the idea of spending a few days with you. Now, that never happened, did it, Tom? There's absolutely <laughs> no way Elvis Presley would have been like, I'm on my deathbed, um, I'm hammering down a hollowed out loaf of bread that I fill with peanut butter, bacon and bananas. But you know what I want more than anything else in the world, Tom? <laughs> I want to spend a few days with Leo Sayer. That's what Elvis was thinking. That's I'm right. sure he was. And then Leo would have shown up and just went, fucking hell, where's the, where's the Marks and Spencer sandwiches? I don't want this Elvis. And he would have just left and gone home. Hey, so. To be fair, it's possible that uh, Elvis's girlfriend was just being nice 
to yeah. Leo Sayer because she was fully aware that Ilfus was going to show up around the outside of, you know, a couple of bottles of Valium. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Now, <laughs> so, look, it's good to know that, that at the height of his career is getting to hang out with all the big names, Ben, mm-hmm. Paul, Elvis, um, but he's also said he's been written off as a songwriter and performer more times and he's had hot dinners. Mm. Weird expression. Man. Yeah, it is. I'm not sure whether that's true either. Um, I don't think that's true. I don't think he's been written off on more occasions no. than he's eaten hot food. I think like most um, people, he had maybe he a has. period of popularity followed yeah. by a long period of not popularity yeah, yeah. during which he spent the money that he earned when he was popular, which is what normal people do, but if I he's, should say. If he's been written off as a songwriter and performer more times than he's had hot dinners, that just might be due to the fact that his favourite food is Marks and Spencer's sandwiches and cheese, <laughs> which are generally served cold. Mm. So he's just not eating many hot dinners. Uh, so that probably explains it. So the That's expression right. is probably more apt for him. He just doesn't he doesn't enjoy hot food. Mm. So when he says that, it makes sense. So um, he also commented, Tom, that he used to hang out with Mick Jagger back in the 70s. Can yep. you believe that? He used to hang out with Mick Jagger. And he said, um, no, neither of us could keep still. It's all the adrenaline. Mm, sure it is. Cocaine again, <laughs> probably. Yes. Not sure. So look, he, he had a lot to say um, about the olden days, probably because from 1980 to today, in the in the subsequent 43 years, he's done sweet fuck all. Yes, other than appear on Hey Hey. So but it sounds like he doesn't have to because he sold 30 million <laughs> albums. He probably yeah. can just do it, do nothing. Um, he pops up occasionally on TV and does the odd guest complaining about and sandwiches. And <laughs> that fucking, but why, don't, why don't you have cheese? He in was the on that short-lived fun. but potentially funny, but unfortunately underwritten TV show, Stupid Stupid Man. Oh, Do you remember that? No, had some potential that show. Had a was he playing himself or a couple of the guys from um, <laughs> Sean McAuliffe? I can't. Don't know if he was playing himself or not. But yeah, oh, good. it was a show about uh, writers at a Ralph style magazine okay. back when those were a thing yeah um, yeah but yeah no I mean stuff like that like but he probably never needs to do anything ever nah. again he had two sequential fucking US number ones in 1979 he's probably got more money than he could spend oh no doubt no doubt yeah uh, lyrics yep uh, oh don't you know I need you so so tell me please I got to know do you mean to make me cry am I just another guy mm. did I mention this was written in 1959 <laughs> for context other big singles of that year included seven little girls sitting in the back seat Bobby socks to stockings 16 candles and teen beat so at least these lyrics don't specify that he's singing them through the chain link fence of a school playground. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. not at all. I also, I didn't mind the video for this, by the way, too. Yeah. He wears a sick pink linen jacket, white t-shirt, lemon slacks combo that makes him look like an iced vovo, but I'm here for <laughs> Correct. it. He also, he's struggling to write a love song to a chick called Mary. He keeps scrunching up the letters and throwing them away. And then he decides the better approach would be to paint his feelings on the wall behind him yeah. through the magic of green screen. Oh, A good. technology which was fucking destroying minds at this time and formed at least 87% of all TV special effects output <laughs> for the next decade. Exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> there wouldn't have been school science fiction shows if there wasn't green screens there simply wouldn't have existed would not have existed no exactly right they had stop motion and that was about it which makes everything look like it and you were having a seizure (laughs) 
sure. <laughs> what have we got next? 2.6 mil for 2. that. 2.6 mil? Um, oh, yeah. It's yeah. not bad. Not bad. For an Aussie, that's fantastic, yeah. in fact. Still got a little bit of um, residual cash rolling in, yeah. so it's all right. Definitely. I hit get a check every year from you make me feel like dancing. No, no doubt. No yeah. doubt. Um, 10th of November, Tom, for two weeks, it's Barbara Streisand, Woman in Love. Yes. Uh, last song of the year, in fact. Yep. Yeah, um, well, yeah. Well, they shut about. up your face, but yeah. for a couple of weeks. We're not, yeah. talking about, not talking about that again. Uh, this was written, Woman in Love was written by Barry and Robin Gibb of the mm. Bee Gees, which makes sense because her voice matches their falsettos here. Yep. And Barry Gibb's doing the backing vocals on this track. Uh, it was her fourth of four platinum records. Wow. And her fifth and last Billboard number one, and is considered to this day her greatest international hit. She sort of went out on a high. Yep. Uh, I don't know. This isn't bad, I don't think. It's a cheesy love song, but it's really well played. She sings the fuck out of it, and the backing vocals are good. Yep. If you, I reckon if you chucked in a guitar solo, this would be a power ballad. Mm. It's like a kind of late 70s equivalent of a power ballad. Yep. Apparently this fits into uh, post-disco Tom. Could sort of see that, although I think it's more of a traditional love. Song, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think disco. I think okay. only say that because it has some BG vibes in the yes, in the writing, it does. in sort of the sort of the sound of yeah. the instrumental, but the it, production the is, production, yeah. yeah. Um, and also, according to one of the P- BG's um, production team. It actually just uses the beat from Staying Alive slowed down. Oh, okay. Allegedly. So <laughs> that's not being confirmed by the Bee Gees themselves, yeah. but apparently, according to this guy, they just took that beat, slowed it down, did a few <laughs> effects on it, and yeah. it's just the exact same hey, thing. It's so, a good beat. Yeah, so it works. Yeah, it's a bit slower than disco, but it does have a kind of energy to it. It's yeah. not just a kind of... W- at the first few bars, I was like, oh, God, it's going to be one of those 70s dreamy love songs that go nowhere. But it doesn't. It picks up and it has a kind of momentum to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, I, yeah. yeah. No, you're I was right. just going to say, look, it, I mean, the question is, where do you really start with Barbara Streisand? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it, it's, it's difficult to talk about her career because um, obviously, you know, we're talking about this song here, Woman in Love. Recording artist, you know, albums, hits, film star, director, stage performer. I mean, I think she's one of the few entertainers to achieve the EGOT. Oh yes, Emmy, she did Grammy, too. Oscar, Tony. Yep. It's it's quite rare, but yep, she's got mm. she's got an Emmy, she's got a Grammy, she's got an Oscar. Well, actually, she's got me, I think she's got multiple of yeah, each of those. I believe. A lot of Grammys, a lot of Oscars. So yeah, look, What's all Tony's, those sorts of things. Tony's Broadway. Ah, uh, yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So she's got something for TV, music, film, and stage performance. It's pretty so impressive. Pre- yeah. So once he, I mean, that's so much stuff. Impossible to know where to start exactly, but if I had to find somewhere, <laughs> I'd probably start with the track uh, "Till I Loved You," uh, a duet she performed with then boyfriend Don Johnson. <laughs> really captures, I think, both of them at their heart. Sort of her, him, him. I think he was in Miami Vice. He was at the time. just taking off now. So yeah. Yeah. he is. He was a smoke show back then, and I've got to admit, watching this video, I was like, oh yeah, she used to be kind of a sex symbol too. I forgot. You sort of forget that a bit now. Oh, absolutely, Tom. I mean, (laughs) you look at, obviously, you know, Don Johnson, as I just said. She briefly dated um, current Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's dad, (laughs) (laughs) who was also Prime Minister of Canada back in the day. Um, she also dated, oh, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, so Justin Trudeau's dad, so was a prime minister too. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know. 
Um, Streisand dated him. Streisand also dated tennis champion Andre Agassi. Oh, yeah. Who had this to say. We agree that we're good for each other. And so what if she's 28 years older than me? Ooh, crikey. We're simpatico. The public outcry only adds spice to our connection. It makes it feel forbidden, taboo. Another piece of my overall rebellion. (laughs) Dating Barbara Streisand is like wearing hot lava. Wearing hot lava. He's sounding like a bit of a himbo there, isn't he? Raises a lot of questions. So he's like 20 then or something in shoes. Yeah. Yeah, 92, 93. He must have been in his 20s and she must have been like... In her fifties, I guess, at yeah. that stage, um, wearing hot lava. I'm not sure. Is that That's a is that a saying? Metaphor, isn't it? Yeah. Don't know. Like you'd be dead. So <laughs> I'm not sure. It but no maybe, maybe it just shows how hot. It's the same guy who famously shaved all the hair off his body for some reason. Yeah, just how hot though Barbara Streisand was at the time. Mm. It's like hot lava. <laughs> I mean, fame wise, sure, maybe. Yeah. yeah. My favorite Barbara Streisand thing is that she. Uh, Loved going shopping, but reached that Taylor Swift level of fame where it was simply impossible to go anywhere under any circumstances. So she simply uh, bought a house with a large enough basement and then had a uh, small shopping centre built in her basement so she could go shopping. Did she? She had shops built in her basement so she could go there. That's fucking insane. Have shopping trips. I know. I love that. It's great. So so does (laughs) she... mental. So she gets... She just gets... Goods that she wants and also goods that she knowingly doesn't want Didn't so El- that she El- can go, oh, Elton John one. used to do shit like that as well. He would have... I think you, if you've got enough money, you can fucking make anything happen. Oh, of but course. I yeah. reckon you would just get a bunch of retailers and just go, look, just set up yeah. your new shit in my basement and make it look like a shopping centre and then I'll go down there and buy it. I mean, I know what you mean. You could just buy it yourself. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Yeah. It's, the fun, it's the fun of doing it, but yeah... I love that because it combines the sort of madness of wealth, yeah, but also with the kind of background sort of tragedy of just not being able to do basic day to day shit that other people yeah. take for granted, like going to Maya to look for a new pot plant or something like that. Yeah, definitely. I think the easier thing would do would be to wear a hoodie, <laughs> some glasses, and then just pretend to co- a mask and just pretend you got COVID or something and just do that. So you can do not, that now, you but can, you back then you looked like Michael Jackson, which is to say a person who was obviously famous, <laughs> particularly because he was surrounded by like 49. My, uh, my friend Shane Yost used to be in America a lot and he said, I was in a comic shop in Los Angeles once and Michael Jackson came in and I said, Jesus. really Michael Jackson? And he was like, yeah. I said, what did he, did he do anything? And he was like, well, first of all, we were just in this empty comic shop and then like 20 huge black guys came in wearing suits. Yeah. And then this little guy came in with a hat on with a face mask and aviators and like black straggly hair and just came in and just looked around quietly at the comics for a bit and then went out. Like, and I, and I said, he didn't do anything and he was like well yeah but I mean who the fuck else would it have been who else would do that <laughs> like, like yeah. the world's most eccentric Michael Jackson impersonator anyway yeah yeah it is tricky um, it just it struck me as like Michael Jackson would probably go to all that effort just to go to a comic shop you know yeah. because he's such a weird child repressed child as his interest in Star Wars demonstrates yeah 
you sort of feel like it would just be um, a lot simpler to just wear a better disguise and not have 20 <laughs> security guards. Because the 20 security guards just says, oh, fuck, it's Michael yes. Jackson. Well, if so there were no security guards, it'd just be like, that could be anyone. This is how you end up with a comic shop in your basement. <laughs> yeah, you just correct. say, just bring me the comic shop to my house and then I'll look at it here yeah. and I don't need to wear a mask. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, yeah. Um, I was going to say, I was just going to totally agree with you. Like, I think of her as pure undiluted 70s, but her career, like you say, it's almost impossible to summarize to yep. the point where I think there are probably millennials who probably think of her more as an actor slash director than a singer because she's done that for so long now that they are probably too young to have seen her in the charts, but they would have seen her in. You know, shitloads of TV and movies. Well, and until stuff. we till we talked about this, I'd legitimately forgot that she was a recording artist. <laughs> like I was, I was almost that thing. It's just it like I've seen her in movies, I've seen her do yeah. stuff, and it's just like, oh shit, she used to do music stuff as well. Yeah. Like, is she sort of like? I mean, no, I feel I like Lady Gaga is kind of like trying to do the new Barbara Streisand. Is yeah. that right? How she was like a pop star, and now she sort of yeah. does music a bit less, and she's trying to be a serious actor. Yes. And, Madonna, sort of Madonna tried it for decades too. She, oh. tried, she wanted to make the transition, but just hampered by that complete lack of ability to act. <laughs> That's the thing. Or, or screen charisma. Even if even if you can't act, you've got to have charisma. Yeah. So, like I said, I watched like ten minutes of um, the the original Star Is Born when it was on TV, yeah. and it was like you say, it was it's the bit I watched had uh, her just performing on stage in a scene. It's like it's weird to see her. A, singing, because I haven't seen that much because yep. I'm a bit too old, but also not just like torch singing, but actually like doing choreography and like dancing and doing yeah. the whole thing. Like Because when I have her seen her sing, it's at those sort of tribute type things where you just stand there with a microphone and just, you know, and everybody bows down and worships you. Not like having to actually work for your supper kind of singing. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even if it's in a movie. Yeah. No, I think I think that seems to be the sort of trajectory, doesn't it? Sort of pop star to Hollywood. That's what movie. they dream of. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of people don't have the nows to make. And no, it's not no. like she just did Yentl. She's directed a lot of things. Oh, she clearly has talent. Absolutely. What about what about the reverse? I'd, would you like to see, say, um, Australia's own Margot Robbie? <laughs> ditch Hollywood for a Eurodance <laughs> career sort of do the reverse thing I would, try and get on the yes, pop stone, get on the pop charts so I, I sort of think yeah, that, that doesn't, that that doesn't happen backwards very often does it you, ha- you, you have pop to acting and you have and then you have the simultaneous like a J-Lo who's sort of like yeah. I've always kind of sung and acted it's kind of to do both but, uh, there's a lot of actors who want to be musicians but very rarely do they have any success yeah very rarely yeah yeah it's it's probably difficult to for someone to say to someone like margot robbie like oh how about you know you know you get like 10 million dollars a movie or however Mm. much you get it's probably some astronomical sum why don't you get rid of that and then go into (laughs) go into music where you'll get a check from spotify every month for 87 dollars why don't you do that so (laughs) it's it's a bit strange isn't it like any an actor getting paid shitloads of money who wants to work their ass off and get booed at on stage in a yeah. pub bar playing music seems like a vanity project for mm. some reason. People always just assume it's a vanity project. Whereas a musician who's sick of getting booed at for singing the same songs every night and who wants a nice cushy job on NCIS... <laughs> <laughs> that seems perfectly fine. Everyone's like, oh, well, that's understandable. Of course they want to be on NCIS, yeah. you know. Isn't it great to see uh, Ice-T um, <laughs> solving crimes or something? Yeah. So that's what we want to see, yeah. yeah. No, correct. 
Uh, the music video for this is, is just a mashup of clips from A Star Is Born, starring Streisand and Chris Christopherson, and from a bunch of other movies she yeah. made in the seventies. That's weird. It is a bit weird <laughs> because this song isn't on the soundtrack to any of them. I assumed it must have been, but it's not. This is just they were just like, what are we going to put here? Oh, well, just some bit of movie trailer action. Yeah. yeah. Lyrics? You got anything else? No, not really. I feel like there was almost too much to say about Barbara Streisand. Oh, yeah, once you start. It's a bit like Michael Jackson. Once you start picking at the thread, it just all... Yeah. yeah. Uh, Life is a moment in space. When the dream is gone, it's a lonelier place. I kissed the morning goodbye, but down inside you know we never know why. The road is narrow and long. When eyes meet eyes and the feeling is strong... I turn away from the wall, I stumble and fall, but I give you it all. This is the kind of irony-free mishmash of love-adjacent hyperbole that kicked off the 80s and would be amplified ongoing every year throughout the decade until you hit the meatloaf Bonnie Tyler critical mass where getting fingered in a parked Toyota after double mass is a neutron (laughs) bomb of emotional devastation which will give you PTSD into the post-apocalyptic future of the love battlefield after the romance wars have wiped out everyone not hot, leaving only eligible singles to fight it out Mad Max style using dildos on chains as weapons. I think that's a Pat Benatar video. I think so. But yeah, so this was the beginning of that. Yeah. It was the bottom of the slope leading up to that. Good. Yeah. Uh, how's, how's Barbara Streisand, who's still alive and kicking? She just released her autobiography, like a Did massive, she? big, thick book about her whole career. I can't yes. believe she'd never done one before. No, no, Because no. she was busy doing every other possible fucking thing. Yep. 4.5 million. 4.5 She's not bad seeing that singing's just kind of a side no. gig. So. I know, I know. <laughs> Fucking like... imagine how much money she must have. Exactly, exactly. She was married to a... Her hairdresser, she got married to, I think, and he became a famous Hollywood producer as well, so she ah. had inroads with him. She made him famous, and then he helped her get famous as well. Good, good. Yeah, that's that weird guy that um, Kevin Smith tells stories about, the guy that was obsessed with the idea of Superman fighting a giant spider and then ended up producing Wild Wild West, which weirdly enough features a giant spider. <laughs> Is that Barbara Streisand's husband? <laughs> yes, who used to be her hairdresser, who she basically began the career of. That's that's how famous she was back then. She could just kick off someone's career by giving you, him a leg up. You'd be a <laughs> <laughs> that's a weird story. There's a whole thing about that on the internet. But yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, so... Uh, I do one thing I do like about Kevin Smith is he doesn't seem like he's one of those like a lot of people probably don't want to tell stories about people to oh, no. annoy people or like put them offside <laughs> because of the potential for future work whereas he's quite happy to just be like this person's a fucking weirdo oh, yeah. this person's yeah. nuts this person has no idea what the hell is going on so I do like the fact that I he's I mean he helped invent podcasting that guy yeah, he, yeah. He, any, any, he, anything he can crap on about he loves it yeah I know what you mean Absolutely. it's all just material to him yeah Yes, 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 definitely. Even, um, yeah, his Prince documentary or whatever it was. Yeah, I want to see that. I bet he's got a bunch of raw material lying around that's really cool. Yeah, Absolutely. I want to see what's in the Prince vault. Yes, correct, correct. (laughs) All right, cool, thanks for that. I'll put a link up on the... Uh, for the YouTube videos, you can watch that. We're, sure. we're running low on YouTube videos. Yeah, this year's good. I Next year, less good. Had a couple of other oh, yeah. things. Uh, as you say, last song of the year, 24th of November, Joe Dolce, Shut Up Your Face, for eight weeks, so that mm. filled out the rest of the year. Uh, some called him the Queen of Christmas. Um, instead of that, I might just mention that uh, 
This year, Blondie released the eternal AAA tier AOR radio classic, Call Me, oh, produced yeah. by Giorgio Moroder and the theme song to the recently remade American Gigolo. Yeah. Uh, it was the Billboard biggest single of this year, 1980, plus number one in the UK and Canada, but it only got to four here, so we didn't get to talk about it. Yeah, pretty much the only thing wrong with that song is the lack of a rap about a man from Mars who meets parked cars, as far as I can tell. That's an absolute classic. I just wanted to mention that. And one other thing, uh, Diane Warren update. Mm. Now, you might remember frequent podcast guest Diane Warren, 40-year veteran of the industry and penner of innumerable classics we've mentioned, uh, such as If I Could Turn Back Time, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, When I See You Smile, Rhythm of the Night, Blame It on the Rain, How Can We Be Lovers, and others, too many to list. Too many. Well, I'm happy to announce that in 2024, she's been nominated for her 15th time in the Best Song category at the Academy Awards. Good. Never won. Never won. 15 nominations, never won. Her past entries included How Do I Live from Con Air, There You'll Be from Pearl Harbor, great movie, Uh, and Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now from Mannequin, one of your favourites. Definitely. But she's never actually won until 2024 when experts are tipping her to take home the gold at last. What song did she write this year? For her song The Fire Inside from, from the film Flamin' Hot. The true story of Flamin' Hot Cheetos creator <laughs> Richard Montagnes. So, sights are looking good for this to be the big one. 15th time's a charm, Ben, and with a film about a particular flavour of chip, who could, who could stop you? That's what so I'm saying. So, telling me she didn't win for the Aerosmith classic Don't Want to Miss a Thing No. From- no, from everyone's favourite film Armageddon. That might—I don't think that Damn. was nominated. Oh, that's a, maybe not. The but the other ones were. She's got uh, half of them I hadn't heard of. So yep. you know, and and the movies are forgotten. But half of them were, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I remember How Do I Live. I forgot it was in my favourite film of all time, Connie yeah, featuring absolutely. Cyrus the Virus. Um, that's interesting. Look, I've not seen that flaming Hot film. <laughs> Sounds like a great film. Um, I love an origin story about how things are created, mm. but uh, without seeing the film, I do know the story. An interesting footnote to this is that the... Uh, Spoiler, can I do a spoiler oh, alert? Please. To watch it? So apparently, <laughs> oh, you really do know the story. Yeah, apparently, oh, okay. <laughs> apparently, um, he was like a cleaner or something. Oh, he worked okay. as a cleaner at, yep. at whoever makes flaming hot Cheetos. Oh. and he, he he like went home, like got some like raw Cheetos or something Ooh. without, and I think went home and apparently doctored up the oh. spice mix himself at home and did them and whatever. It's like that Took, film by Affleck and Matt Damon with Robin Williams in it uh, about that flubber. famous janitor yeah. who <laughs> in the yeah. night he solves complex mathematical yeah. equations on the blackboard. But So that this is that's the premise of the film. This guy made up the, the Cheetos at his mm. house, brought them in and they went, oh great. And then over the years he rose from like janitor to ah. like, exe- like not CEO, but like exe- <laughs> board member executive yes. or something like that. So that's, that's the story and I assume that's what's in the film. But then I've also heard that the story's largely fabricated that a lot of in it's America, not. In yeah. America, that, that it's no. like there's a kernel of truth kind oh, of in okay. there but like
like it's not not one hundred percent. So I'm not sure whether it's completely true or bullshit. Well, I'm but I sure have heard it will that, be yeah. every bit as successful as that film by Jennifer Lawrence about that chick who invented a mop that was on infomercials. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> there, there must but be. What a if the chick invented a mop? Ben yeah, is the question that yeah, film yeah. asks. Um, no, no, not the mop. Just a, a different a kind, kind of mop. Of mop yeah, mm. I, I blame the fact that um, was that. Didn't Tom Hanks do that McDonald's movie or something? And uh, that was... Michael Keaton did a oh, McDonald's my, yeah, movie yeah, yeah, about yeah. the guy who invented McDonald's, yeah, except yeah. he didn't invent McDonald's, he just sold the idea yeah. of it. To... So I think that was probably enough of a success <laughs> where Hollywood executives just went, oh, great, we've got a whole new genre now. Let's just make movies about mm. people that invented things yes. that have some popularity. Yeah. And obviously we've gone from McDonald's to Mop. To flaming hot cheetahs. Don't forget that. There's also now a subgenre of that genre, which is people who invented social media bullshit. Oh yeah. E.g., didn't actually invent anything at all, but a team of people underneath them came up with an idea about how to fucking get people on the internet to be even more cunts to people than they already are. So we have to oh, have yeah, the right. movie about the guy who invented Fuck. Facebook and fucking the BlackBerry. And what was the other one recently? Oh, there was the Nike Air shoe one. That was more. Oh yeah, there one. was. Um, was yeah. Fucking hell! They really—it's yeah, a whole new genre. But I'm sure this one will be lifted above that by yeah. the Diane Warren song. The problem I have with these—the the problem inside. I have with these films—is often they're uninteresting, and even if they are interesting, uh, dramatization of it is never better than just someone just making a documentary about it. Exactly. Exactly. Interview the actual people, get some source <laughs> material, get some archival footage, put it together. Go, yeah. oh, that's pretty interesting. I don't need Ben Affleck to be fucking no, going. Oh, no, no. That's how right. about we put some shoelaces in? Oh, great! It's like fuck. No one cares. So yeah, either that or they just make shit up. And yeah, then it doesn't. Yeah, it's not a true story. Anyway, we'll be back next time with 1979. <laughs> We're stepping back into the 70s, so probably more disco and other stuff. But yeah, yeah or we may do 2023, possibly. Oh, yeah, we'll mixing it, it all up um, <laughs> for sure. And we're approaching episode 50 on the podcast, Ooh. which will be a special episode. Sure, so yeah. watch out for that. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye.